for March 30th. For March 30th. March 30th, 2007. This is episode 7 of Potter Pick Weekly. Potter Pick Weekly. This is episode 7 of Potter Pick Weekly. Welcome to the place. Welcome to the place. Welcome to the place. Where the story never ends. Episode 7 of Potterfic Weekly. I am Rinna. And I am Jen. Ryan is unable to join us today. He is sick with, I suppose, his version of the Martian death flu that I had a few weeks ago. <laughs> so uh, we wish him a speedy recovery and hopefully he'll be back soon. Definitely. We'll send you a big get well soon card from the podcast people. A verbal one. We'll <laughs> send him a singing telegram. <laughs> Get wealthy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although really, I suppose since, since he's actually doing the editing for the show, it wouldn't be much of a surprise if we're like, yeah, let's send him a singing telegram. <laughs> 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 he's going to be like, edit out, edit out. Exactly. No, I was imagining like some, we'll send a chipmunk or something to his house. <laughs> no, 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 no. What you need to do is we need to send a deer. Because he hit a deer with his car. He like, killed Sandy. Long. I know. I know. Yes. yes. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, did you even have a car left? Like, yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe that. I ran into but, a dead deer once. Oh, Lord. But it was already dead. It was already in the road. <laughs> but, yeah. man, it, like, wrecked my front of my car. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Do your news. Yeah, let me do my news. Because I wrote it out because I'm a dork. Because I didn't want to forget anything. <laughs> Seriously. Right. Okay. I'd like to start with our Potterfic Weekly News. We've got a few new members in the forums. Welcome, welcome. We're so glad you decided to join us in the forums. I'd like to take this time to say that if you're listening to our podcast, then you will also enjoy the forums. We've got an excellent family of members building up each day, and we'd love to meet you and hear what you've got to say. Please note that Jinya is answering your questions, so please feel free to write down anything you'd like to know in our Q&A for Arabella and Jinya Forum. I'm sure our questions are still tickling them to death, so ask away. I would like to announce that we are considering a summit meeting in New York City for the release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. I can't imagine a more fun way to spend that evening than with my fellow Harry Potter friends. So if you'd like to give us your opinion or ideas about creating this kind of summit, please do so in our summit forum. I was just told by Rena that not everybody has the teacher schedule of summers off, but we will try and make it work. So if if it's even a possibility. So give us your opinions and we'll see where we can go with that. I would like to announce the creation of a marketplace where our new fan fiction recommendations are now kept. I've put together a quick links page of all the fanfics we've discussed so we can access them easier and hope to continue updating that on a regular basis. Ryan and I were discussing the possibility of creating a top 10 fanfic page that we all vote on 
And so we might be doing this in the near future. A real best of the best rec page, if you will. So any thoughts and opinions towards that would be appreciated. We've also got a new forum as of today called the Reading Group. And basically what we did was we just moved all of the specific fanfic story discussions over. We've also created a ladies parlor and a snouts fair on the forums for our members to be able to discuss things with other members of the same sex. I don't know about the boys forum, but the girls is becoming quite the place to be. We've got many different avenues going, and it's been really enjoyable. So come down and join us there. Raina, how are you like in the ladies' parlor? It's nice. It's, it's yeah. very friendly. I enjoy it very much. It, it kind of sums up today's podcast. You know, we're having a girl-friendly podcast. Exactly. And we've got a girl-friendly ladies' parlor. Like, I really like it. It's really sweet there. <laughs> and I'm, I haven't heard much about the snout spare, but... I can't. I have to doubt that they're having as much fun as we are. Of course. Um, <laughs> new members, please don't forget to come and introduce yourselves in the Getting to Know You forums. We'd love to meet you. Also, please don't forget to get sorted into your houses if you haven't thus far. I know that a Ravenclaw house is getting quite popular, but I know all houses would love new members. So don't be afraid and go ahead and get sorted. Okay. That's all I can think of at the moment regarding news. Can you think of anything else that hasn't been mentioned? No, not really. Although, if we're going to do like a meetup thing for the book release, it might be better or more prudent to do it in some place like Dallas. Because that's what I've noticed that. (laughs) Well, I've noticed that a lot more of our members are from the Midwest and the South. And so getting to New York City might not be feasible for a lot of people, but maybe getting someplace closer, like a more central location, you know? Well, I know that, like, where are you from exactly? I'm in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I know that Jules is from somewhere close to Dallas. Like, Dallas is Dallas would be really feasible, and we could perhaps yeah. fly down Ryan and, and Danielle. We could chip in or something. That could definitely be right. a possibility. So I don't know. <laughs> Just because I think that we have a lot more Midwesterners. I know there are a handful of people from Ohio, and uh, oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, Dallas would be, or even if it wasn't Dallas, you know, Tulsa or Oklahoma City or someplace a little closer for some people. We'll have to, we'll put up a poll. I'll put up a, I'll put up no, a that poll will, after we finish. That's a good idea. A Definitely po- do A that. location poll um, on the site. So you can go to the site, go to the forums and vote on the location that you'd like or that you would be most willing to travel to if we did a meet and greet for the release of uh, Deathly Hallows on uh, July 21st. And I also think that if anybody wants to get together for the release of the Order of the Phoenix, that might be feasible as the well. Movie. At least, right? The movie. Well, yeah, because the book's already out. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, wait, <laughs> why would anybody no. get together for that? <laughs> well, Ryan, you know, Ryan was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about going to that, and I was like, what? Like, since the first movie came out, like, I have not been able to, to, to stand waiting for this movie. So it better be good. I, I've got I've got high hopes for it. We'll, uh, we'll see we'll how discuss things that. turn out. We're going to have to have a Order of the Phoenix, what we think, and after we watch it, podcast or something. Right. Okay. Well, do you want to get started? All right. We're starting today in Chapter 22. We get to see some dragon riding. Yes. And uh, I know this this chapter freaks me out just because I'm rather uncomfortable about 
around things that are that much larger than me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this just makes me uncomfortable. I can't even imagine what would it be like to, to do what they're doing. Although I will say that I the first time I read this, seriously, I just about fell off my stool when they mentioned the hygienic dehydration charm. I did too. I could, I you thought, know, <laughs> I always wanted to know how they go to the bathroom. Like that's the kind of things I always am like, how do they do that? And it, Shana told us. I love it. Uh, yeah. I just, and just, and especially, you know, Harry being the fact that he is still very, you know, for being a savior of the world, he's still very uh, humble and yes. embarrasses easily. And I can just picture him <laughs> blushing bright red when, and especially, um, you know, some random guy he doesn't even know is asking him if he knows his toilet charm. I suppose that would be like <laughs> you walking up to some lady on the street and asking if she was potty trained. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. I just, that, that would be. That's what I. Yeah. It's like one and, of those Saturday uh, Night Lights or something. Are you and, wearing campers? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we we get to see the first large scale encounter with the Dementors. <laughs> we see the Dementor. Like we see the first one try to escape. Is that what you mean? Or like yes. what they actually what their job description actually is over there. Mm-hmm. where they have to, the Dementor is like trying to escape and they have to take the dragons and literally just kind of shove it back. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, basically. And Harry, and, of course, uh, is a natural. What do you think of Bert? Of course he is. <laughs> Bert cracks me up, but really? I think he irritates Harry. How old do you think Bert is? is? Um, I don't know. I don't think I ever thought about that. I mean, obviously no one who rides a dragon should be very old, I don't think. Like it does, I don't see like old people doing this crazy. Old, but yeah. to me, he acts like an older person. You know, he acts like someone who's very mature and I don't know, just the calmness that he has. And, like he's encouraging to Harry. And so I guess I thought, well, maybe he's older. Maybe he's like Arthur's age or something. That's possible. I, I don't think I ever considered that. It's interesting. I think that the mention of a chose tattoo. Yes, I love that tattoo. Is is very funny, especially because we know that, um, and obviously they could not have predicted this, um, but we know in book six, some gossipy girls asked <laughs> if it's true that Harry has a tattoo of a dragon on his chest. And uh, and I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> it's, and I mean, and that's one of the things that I really, really well, like about the story is that these little bitty things that just, you know, they're not huge plot points. You know, it's it's these little things like, you know, the tattoo thing or just little things that really did happen in canon. And, and that's I know. one of the things that I really think is so great about the story is because so much of everything that happens here could fit just right in with everything that we already know about these characters, even though this is supposed to be years down the road and we haven't even gotten to this point yet. I just, I really enjoy that about this story. I wonder if... Uh, Arabella and Virginia found that extremely funny when they, when they, when Jenny makes the joke about the dragon tattoo, you know, because of what they had written. I wonder if they had a big laugh over that. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to say, I thought it very interesting that they had that tattoo on Cho's, uh, wasn't it on her belly or her yeah. stomach and where her shirt rose up a little bit and like Harry is like peeking, like we know he likes Jenny and yet he did like 
yeah. once upon a time. And I love that they had that little moment where he kind of is like, oh, hmm. <laughs> looking at her stomach. Well, yes, but also at the same time, especially for a guy who was raised around muggles, you know, if I were to walk up to someone, even if I really did not care for them personally, but they had a moving tattoo, it would catch my eye. Yeah, no, that's probably true. I wonder if he'd ever seen one before that. I'm sure, I mean, in the war and stuff, you'd think he'd have seen a moving tattoo before. Who knows? I don't know. Well, it's possible. I just, I don't know. So then we see Harry goes home and he's talking to Jenny mm-hmm. and she basically takes the uh, pain takes away. The pain <laughs> away. <laughs> that makes it sound so ridiculous. Oh. Doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all in the wording. You know, it's like when we say some of this stuff, I'm like, am I really saying this? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, no. yeah, he put he pats beside her. He wants her to sit next to him. And she does, you know, and he lays his head on her shoulder, which I thought was very touching. Yeah. You know, and that she grabs his hand. Like, you know, they're doing all that stuff that first couples do. And she's suddenly like, oh, you're cold. How close did you get to the Dementors? And it made me think, how... You, <laughs> It really affects your physical state. It makes you cold. Like, I guess I was just thinking that it messed with you emotionally and it made you just crumble and depressed and sad. But, like, he's physically cold. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, I mean, it's 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 a valid point. I mean, emotional trauma can cause physical pain. It's a yep. fairly common phenomenon. And, uh, well, it's it's this phenomenon behind stress headache. You no, know, that's you're true. not, you're in emotional turmoil. And so in some cases, it's difficult for you to define emotional pain because there's not a physical side to it. And so the body compensates by providing this physical pain to go along with it. Not that cold necessarily is a physical pain. It is an actual you know, an actual feeling. But also, right. I, mean, I know that whenever I am up on uh, the top of a mountain or something or up high in the air and it's cold and it's windy and then I get down to the bottom or I come down and it's not quite so cold anymore. So no, maybe you're right there. I mean, maybe that's a very good point that I hadn't thought about. Maybe it was because he was so high. I mean, they're, they're on, on an ocean. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that does make, that makes perfect sense. I just never thought about it that way. Good point. Yeah. And But uh, she pulls him down. You know, she's like, oh, here, let me try this on you. And he's like, okay. <laughs> what do you think about her? Like, what do you think she was thinking at this point where she is trying to help him? I mean, she knows she's not supposed to. Yes, but I think that based on the connection that she has, that it yeah. would have been impossible for her not to. Right. That's, you know? that's true. It's just one of those things where we discussed it in an earlier podcast when talking about making the Wolfsbane potion. It wasn't just, oh, I want to do this. It was, I have to do this. I will be physically mm-hmm. sick if I don't do this. And I think you it's think a similar situation. It's a, it's a compulsion. She feels that desire to help. And because of her specific ability, it doesn't allow her to, to just say, okay, I want to, but I can't. It's, I want to and I have to. I like that, yeah. What did you think about when Harry relaxed and felt better? He suddenly gets very horny. <laughs> you know, I really think that if you took any man anywhere yes. and just released all of the tension of 
his work life or emotional life or mm-hmm. whatever, it would be like horny 24-7, really. But I'm married, so I don't know if I say that. Do you really think? Like, I think when I read this, I was always like, I, I guess a thing, but not necessarily a sensual one. Yeah. It's an intimate thing, you know, and especially Harry, we know that he's very stunted for intimacy. And it could be that, you know, he's not used to being intimate, just lying with someone and having it not progress into anything sexual. And it, it just, it has a lot to do with what you're used to. Well, I mean, because he's had so many sexual, I'm confused. I mean, like, you don't see him just being like, he's close to his friends, but still keeps them at a distance, even though they push themselves in. He doesn't have that example of intimacy just between friends. And in his case, I think that's what that is. The only way that he knows how to respond to any kind of intimacy is in a sexual sense. You see what I'm saying? I do. Okay. So then we take another lovely big perspective shift then we go from Harry and Ginny to uh, Hermione on Cortona and you know and, and, and this is part of the reason why I always thought that Hermione would not do well in this environment it describes Delia as being very new age being mm-hmm. um, you know she can't shake the feeling that thinking is just an offshoot of divination and, and mm-hmm. Hermione is much too logical for stuff like that. And, uh, but so she finally is able to break down and explain what it is that she wants to do, that she wants to help her parents. Yes. And this is the first time that she's been able to put that into words. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also the first time that we get to really see what happened to her parents. Well, this is just the first time where she allows herself to talk about it and kind of accept what what she's doing here and why she's there and what's happened. Like, I think she always knew what happened, but this is the first time it's actually hit her how how serious it is and like how she feels about it. We never actually get to see how she feels about it, and and because she just won't talk about it. Okay, well, we've been having some, uh, obviously, since this is edited together to sound nice and pretty, you can't know about this, but we've been having some serious technical issues here, so you've had to change up the format a little bit, so things are probably going to sound a little bit different from here on out, and we're also welcoming our guest host for the evening. We've been trying to actually get him involved uh, for about two hours now, but uh, due to our uh, technical difficulties, we have been unable to do that. So we'd like to welcome Mac from the forums. He's filling in for Ryan this evening, and we're really glad that he was able to do that for us. So hello, Mac. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Sorry about it taking so long to figure this out. Better late than never. I think. Exactly. I'm so excited. All right. So, so we're, we're talking about Hermione. Yes. And this is the first time that we as the audience get to really see what happened to Hermione's parents through her eyes. And I think that it's it's really interesting because we've known for a long time that something happened to Hermione's parents. We've known that they were tortured to insanity, but we never knew what really happened until now. And that's another thing that I think is just so amazing about this story is that they're able to take a plot point and leave it so vague for 22 chapters before we finally figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but so this is the first time that we see what happened and how she 
you know, well, how you know, she experiences it for the first time. She goes through it. I mean, Delia, have we agreed on her name yet? Delia or Delia? I think it's Delia. 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 I've never actually heard that name or seen it before. Okay, Delia. You know, she like from the moment Hermione gets there, Delia's like talk, <laughs> which I was always like, oh, you could ask her questions or something, help her along. But um, I just love that she finally gets around to talking about her parents after putting it off so long. Well, but also at the same time, you know, when when someone's been through a trauma like that, which I mean, trauma is really underrunning a event in this story. All these characters are traumatized. We've discussed this a lot. But after you've been through a trauma, you have to talk it through yourself. People can ask you all the questions in the world, and you don't have to face it. Even if you're giving them completely honest answers, you don't have to face what happens. It's only when you have to put what happened to you in your own words that you're really forced to come face-to-face for the first time with whatever it is that happened. I don't think she's even talked about it with Ron. Yeah, because, well, and part of it is, you know, she thinks, well, he already knows what happened. What's right. the point? Point is, because it's healthy, you dummy. But <laughs> Not to mention, Hermione, you dummy. Yeah. Not to mention, it's been holding her back. Exactly. That's a really good point. Now, she hasn't been able to actually concentrate and focus on nothing because this has always been in the back of her mind the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. And I just love that it's making her think when she finally gets there and finally decides what she's going to do and how she's going to do it, how she can't help just feeling like it's something that is either, it's like divination. She just thinks it's the most, not ridiculous thing because she actually believes in it, I think, but the most impossible thing to just come up with. And I think that her bursting out in tears and talking about it is part of her frustration for not being able to understand. Like she can't, even grasp on it because she can't understand what thinking actually is. Yeah. And after being frustrated and talking and, and, you know, realizing, feeling the disappointment that it's not what she actually hoped it would be, I'm sure all of that has, you know, contributes to her little breakdown here. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I know from personal experience that when, I mean, I've always considered myself to be a really quick study. And I've had to catch myself in the past because, you know, if there's something that I don't pick up on the first try, I'm tempted to just say, oh, well, if I can't do it, nobody can do it. Screw this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and, I, and that wouldn't be surprising to me to find out that Hermione operates a lot uh, in a very similar way because people that are very intelligent tend to have that reaction sometimes. When they can't catch it, they... Uh, they just they get frustrated and it's it's funny because we actually see that in canon when uh in half blood prince when all of a sudden harry is the potions ace and hermione gets right. so mad because mm-hmm. it's not and and part of it is because she feels like he's cheating but part of it is just that for the first time he's better at something than she is and for someone who's always been the best, finding out that you're not the best can be a very, very rude awakening. But that's like with divination, where she can quit that because in her mind it's not necessary. Right. The problem is she can't quit being a thinker no matter how frustrating it is, she can't do it. 
Because if she quits, there's no other way to help her parents. Right. And uh, How sad for Hermione. I know. Seriously. It's a desperate situation. It's just horrible. But I completely understand what you were talking about, Rena, and that, you know, I've never, I, I wouldn't say I'm the most intelligent person that ever lived because I'm not, like, by way far. Um, but if I don't pick something up very quickly, I don't really bother with it, you know, initially. If I can't pick it up quickly initially, I'll just go, yeah, okay, I'll do something else. But, and I and I feel for her. I feel for her that she doesn't just pick it up. And I'm not really sure what she thought thinking was. I think I'd really like to know what her thought process of, you know, what research did she find out, what thinking that described it, you know? Do you think she went into going to be a thinker having any idea of what being a thinker actually entailed? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that she went into doing the thinking internship, for lack of a better word. She went into doing it based on her experience with building the Expecto Sacrificum spell, which that was not necessarily built out of her just sitting around and thinking about building spells. That spell was built out of, you know, a very real necessity, which is another reason why I think that it was really crucial for her to speak about what she wanted to do. Because with the Expectrofact Sacrificum spell, they all knew what the objective was. There was no guesswork. There was no, hmm, what am I going to think about now? It wasn't, let's think about nothing. It was, we've got to find a spell to beat Voldemort. How do we do that? And I think that is more what she thought it was going to be, much more specific than it really was. And in that case, in the case of the Expector Sacrificum spell, it it was very specific. But thinking in general is not. But even with Expector Sacrificum, they intended to build it for the longest time but when they actually came up with the idea for it, it wasn't out of a book. It wasn't while they were thinking about it. It was while Ron was making a joke about her book of love spells and loving Voldemort to death and just kind of mm-hmm. thinking aloud that it happened. It wasn't while they were actually saying, how can we build this spell to defeat Voldemort? Right. It happened, but I don't think she put that together in her mind. Well, I think she's just one that takes ideas off of others and, and de- didn't actually realize her in her own thought process and how she actually works, you know, on an in- intellectual level until she got there and, you know, Delia's like, okay, we'll sit and think. And I, I would have been like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to think about? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But um, I, I do think that as a non-thinker, I think that thinking is somewhat stupid. <laughs> like, I'm I'm sorry, but reading this and reading about what Delia does, and I understand, you know, she's in constant talk with the minister and Dumbledore when he was alive and all that stuff, but who, who thinks like that, where they get a problem and then they just sit and dwell on it for a month, you know, and then come up with a solution? Like, to me... That's impossible. Like, no wonder there's only one in a in a billion years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I completely can relate to Hermione here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, I, I understand, and I think that that's a good point. And um, so Hermione has her little breakdown, and and she just cries. And I know 
that I've felt this way when I just get so stressed out and so overwhelmed or whatever, just to cry for like 30 minutes. And I feel <laughs> yep. so much better. And and that's I've what I've always wondered if that was just a girl thing. I've always wondered it because my husband doesn't do that, but I have spouts of like emotional breakdown and then I'm okay and then I'm better. Uh, yeah. And you just, you just have to cry it out, I think. And I, yeah, I think it would, it is a girl thing. <laughs> what, Matt? Is it a girl thing? Is it's it really? A girl thing. Yes. Because <laughs> my husband I, I, is nodding too. I do not do that. I don't know any guys who do that. And if they did, I don't know any guys who would admit to it. <laughs> I guess girls are just more open with it, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> we we punch walls. That's what we do. There you go. Oh, God. We get, we get emotionally fed up and we punch walls or we punch cars or we go out drinking with our buddies. We don't We don't have uh, spouts of crying to get it out of our system. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, that's, that's really a shame because I think if... if <laughs> If more men would just it's cry crazy. it out sometimes, I think maybe our world would be a better place. You know, I agree. It's my my okay. my friend Kristen and I used to always say that we'd have world peace if the, if the international leaders would just get together and go shoe shopping. But now I think I'm going to change <laughs> that to if the international leaders would just sit down and have a good cry. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. But, you know, I will say that when I have a cry, it's not just like I'm happy one minute and then I'm bursting out in tears. Like, normally it's a buildup of stress and I get snippy and I get angry and then I, you know, get angry, so angry. And then I just sit down and just, like, bawl my eyes out for half an hour. And then I'm like, oh, life is good again, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I try things. Really, sometimes know? that's just all it takes. <laughs> and uh, and so then Hermione does some uh, meditation. And then we find out yeah. that it's her birthday. And she has her some, birthday eighteen. I know. Okay. Which I think means a lot more to us because it's weird to me to think of a, a seventeen year old as an adult. You know, and it's just conditioning. Yeah. And yeah. so I mean the big eighteenth birthday is the big one in, in the US where you can uh, finally legally buy smokes and porn. And so, you know, <laughs> You don't really. Well, it is. I mean, come on. Did you call them smokes? Yeah. yeah. I really like that smokes. Or, or we should call them. What is the word? Cigarette that, that George had. Squirm. 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 There you go. But um, no, I know. But so we see that it's it's her birthday, and so she's gotten some lovely letters from back home. There's a uh, one from uh, Molly Weasley, and one okay, from. Okay, I have to say this before you go on. Can we just like compare birthdays here? I want to compare Hermione's birthday to Harry's birthday. Okay. Seriously. Who got the better birthday by, like, miles and miles and miles? <laughs> I mean, Hermione is, was up there with him. I'm just saying she fought. She's the one that made the spell that freaking saved the world. Her birthday sucks compared to his. Well, well I don't know. that's true. Abroad. But, yeah, exactly. Like Max said, it's it's by virtue of her being in Cortona, 
You know, we know that it took her a long time to get there. So it's not like she could just pop back home for an afternoon. This was a... I'm I'm just saying there were, like, real thoughts put into Harry's gift. You know, in her mind, it gets, like, ice cream. (laughs) I don't... Well, that's true. But also, you notice that a lot of times in the book, Harry's friends kind of go above and beyond when it comes to birthdays and Christmases and things like that because they know that for the first 11 years of his life, nobody really gave a crap about him. And so they want to reinforce, you know, to him that he's special to them. And Hermione obviously has had a family that adored her, plus great friends all through these years. So I think that you know, it, it doesn't surprise me to see that Hermione's birthday isn't as big of a deal, just like it doesn't surprise me if I were to see that Ron's birthday or Ginny's birthday wasn't a big deal, because they've always Ron. had that. Well, and also That's remember, true. every year Harry's had his birthday, it's been during the summer when he's away from his friends. So right. they have to reinforce that because they're normally not with him. Hermione is during the school year, so she's been with her friends at school during her birthday for the past couple of years. Yeah. Let's just keep going. Like her gift. You had already said that Molly sent her some pies and a photograph of Leo and a sun hat. Which, of course, <laughs> I think it's funny because, you know, Molly is the doting grandma. You know, I, I can just picture her yeah. standing in line at the supermarket whipping out a billfold and be like, want to see my grandkids? You know? Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's awesome. But still, I mean, that just is what, based on the way, you know, she's a very good mother. And so she would obviously be a very doting grandmother as well. And uh, I think Molly, in some ways, trying to fill in the place of Hermione's parents, just like she's done with Harry as well. Yeah, that's true. You know? I don't think she's as overt about it with Hermione as she is with Harry. No. Because, you know, obviously Harry's never really had a mother figure in his life. Hermione has. And Molly knows that, and she doesn't want to overstep that boundary. Right. And then uh, we get the the ice cream from Harry, which, I mean, for Harry, that is a pretty thoughtful gift, you know, because that's something that's going to Fortescue's and getting ice cream. The strawberry and peanut butter ice cream was something that he always did when he went to Diagon Alley to get his books every year, which was usually the first time he really got to be back in the wizarding world. And so oh, I never thought about it that way, but you're perfectly right. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, anytime he's homesick for the wizarding world, that's what he thinks of is the ice cream, that strawberry and peanut butter ice cream. And so that's what mm-hmm. he sends to Hermione because it always makes him feel better. Good point. Oh, yeah. I like it even better now, <laughs> even though it doesn't compare with, <laughs> even though it still doesn't compare with Harry's like, I just never thought about it. I was just like, I guess because me, ice cream is just like, oh, it's just ice cream. It's just something else, you know. <laughs> but you make it all emotional. <laughs> well, you know, come on. Oh, um, I, thought it, I thought of it was emotionally, too. You did? Yeah, I thought I thought it was a very thoughtful gift on his part. I mean, Fortescue's always had a special place in his heart. And mm-hmm. uh, Canon... And then Half-Blood Prince, when we find out what happened to Forrest Gue, he's Harry's very upset about that. Mm-hmm. And okay. so we we have the ice cream, and then there's a, a lovely newsy letter from Ginny that uh, 
and and I love some of the way that she phrases things in this letter. It just cracks me up about Sirius skulking about the house, muttering on about Death Eaters and Dementors and Dragons and Dark Lords and Draco and other things beginning with D. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was the best line in this whole fic. I love that line. Yeah, it's awesome. And uh, and then I think... (laughs) And and then we get into the gift from Ron. And uh, I, I think my first... I really, I, I, their pictures are all very sweet, but I have to say that I really like the first one the best because it's got, he's, it's a picture of him with Crookshanks in one arm and Hogwarts a history in the other. And it says, all I do is pet the cat and broaden my mind. That just about cracked me up when I first read this <laughs> because. It's so sweet and you can it, picture it. It is. And especially because everybody has given her such crap about that Hogwarts a history and so, I just thought that was so funny. It was extremely creative. Like, and it's even better that the pictures move. Like, she can actually see him laughing at her. You know, like it's a joke. Right. <laughs> Obviously, I love it. And then I really okay, love. Well, she keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, I love how it closes the letter okay. with "I love you more than is strictly decent." <laughs> I think oh, I'm going gosh, to start. That's a good flirt, is he not? Yeah, I really think I'm going to start signing off my conversations like that, just because that line is fabulous. And then yes, we, this, this section it. closes with Hermione writing a dirty letter back to Ron. <laughs> I love that they do dirty letters to each other. Like yes. I think it's the most hysterical thing. <laughs> like it's great. I love you more than is decently. I love it. Strictly decent. Yes. My husband doesn't even write like that. <laughs> don't worry, neither does mine. Laugh. All right. Okay. So we Man, move on then to Harry and Ron. And we find out that Ron is, of course, dreaming about Hermione. And you can see that this is a fairly uh, graphic <laughs> dream. Finally, we're finally seeing some graphicness. <laughs> yeah, Jen's jonesing for the porn for over stuff. here. Okay. <laughs> oh, that sounds horrible. Having this dream about Hermione, and the first thing he sees when he wakes up is Harry standing over him, punching him in the arm. Yeah. It, it, poor Ron. <laughs> struggling to get back to that dream. Buzzkill. <laughs> Well, I mean, how many, you know, you have a dream about, you know, some romance in your life and, like, you get woken up by your best friend. It's just very mood swinging suddenly. You know, you're just like, oh. oh." It is, man. I remember at one point when I was in college, I was having a lovely, lovely dream about Carl and Farrell. And my telephone rang. (laughs) And I really thought I was going to beat up the person on the other end of that phone. Yep, we've all been there. Yeah. All been there. Uh, yeah. I thought it was so funny that Ron said it's five bollocking 30. <laughs> Is that even, I mean, I'm sure it's a Britishism or, or something, but it is a freaking hysterical. Yeah. Bollocking. It's five bollocking 30. Like, it's not the word I would have used, but I yeah. think it's very funny. I doubt that. So Harry is, is going to go to Azkaban and put in a half shift and then come home to give moral support for dun-dun-dun-dun, 
the trial. And and then that's when we finally see Ron's like, oh, crap, that is totally today. <laughs> and, and, and I really mind. After getting that letter from Hermione, that slipped his mind. I know. That had to be mm-hmm. one hell of a letter to make oh, something I know, Joe. that... We that letter. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there's our assignment <laughs> for Arabella and Jenya to uh, write the letter. Give us that <laughs> NC-17 labeled letter, please. <laughs> I think and that's funny. I was gonna say, yeah, Ron gets up, and we get to see uh, Ron finally make fun of Jenny because of Harry. Finally, yeah. like you know, he's been dying to do it, and he's finally like Harry been keeping you awake, and she's like, "Shut up." <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it wasn't. For the, the siblingness. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so Ron goes to. Uh, goes to uh, Diagon Alley and sees um, and runs into another orphan. And this is one of the things that's just, uh, it makes the baby Jesus cry, it really does. Because these are just small children who, they are so desperate to stay out of the children's home and things like that, that they are hiding in Diagon Alley, they're living on the streets. And you'd think in something like the wizarding community where these people can do anything with the wave of a wand, that they'd be able to do something about these kids and they wouldn't just be running like crazy. You know? Mm-hmm. It is sad. It's so sad. And I love how Ron handles it. Yeah. He does you know? a really good job. And, uh, well, no, I, I will I mean, I think he he gets fooled. I mean, he obviously gets fooled. But I wouldn't say it's a good job because he he's an orphan, and he he's so you know in the mindset of he reminds me of Draco and he reminds me of Harry that he doesn't even think to say what's your name. Well, I meant good job that he actually cared enough to try to get the kid to stay. You know, it, he he keeps surprising me. That's what I mean. Like. Him even noticing this kid to me is surprising for Kane and Ron, and I think I keep getting nicely surprised that he's actually a really decent guy. And like, yeah, he kind of screws up, but the fact that he even gave it a second thought to me makes him just holy crap, decent guy. Then um, we we get to see Bill being the older brother here and telling him that he needs to uh get new robes or get better robes for his trial. And I love the p- the part where Ron is, is is pleased to point out that he's taller than Bill because he's always oh, yeah. the young, he's still the youngest. He will always be the youngest, but he is at least the tallest, <laughs> <laughs> which absolutely cracks me up. But anyway, and... Uh, well, I know when I read, I forget that Ron is a part of this. Like, of course you know he's a part of the Weasleys, but you don't actually think about his place with his brothers. You know, like, they're they're always in pairs, and, and, yeah, there's always Jenny, but to me, Ron was always alone, and Jenny was always alone. And I don't know. I just liked that they show the the sibling-ness. I hate my words. 
you know. <laughs> I know what you mean. Okay. It's it's hard to remember that there's that sibling dynamic because for so much of the story we see it as the Weasley family and Harry Ron Hermione. And Exactly. And this is the first time or one of the first times that you really get to see that, you know, sibling teasing kind of relationship that they have, which because they do have because they are family. And so they go to Madame Malkin's to buy some robes and who do they run into but Fleur Delacour. And, uh, <laughs> beautiful Fleur. Exactly. And then you get to see, uh, you get to see Ron playing up the, ha ha ha, I know her and you don't card, even though he doesn't know <laughs> what is really going on. And, uh, uh I and, love that Ron gets to be the, the upper, the uppity person here, and that he's the one that's like, Oh, hello, Fleur. Oh, yes, things are great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know you. You're beautiful, and I know you. And Or it's just like in the back with his mouth hanging open. Right. Well, you and don't get to see Ron ever be the suave one. Exactly. Yep. That's it perfectly. And, and uh, I mean, he's, he's the goofy sidekick, and now, you know, first with the, uh, with the, the robe, Madam, uh, Madam Mbaye, I have no idea what her name is. Mbaye, I think. But, you know, when she, okay, when, well, you know, when she leaves. Mbaye? I think, What's well... What's her name? I can't remember. Honestly, it looks like an African name. Oh, Mbaye. Yeah. Mbaye. Like cookies. Okay, Mbaye. <laughs> Madam Mbaye. Well, I was... <laughs> I always said it was Mbaye, like mmm cookies. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> exactly. Well, when, to put in that little whatever her name is, after she's, you know, taking their measurements, you know, Ron's over there nudging Bill, you know, she fancies us. Ron's, Ron's the one with the steady girlfriend who's also picking up, you know, these other girls. First mm-hmm. her and then Fleur, of all people, like the unattainable girl. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Poor Bill. It oh, makes yeah. me think what Arthur, what Arthur is actually teaching his boys. I mean, they all come across as you know they're all doing and they're all just real honorable, but mm, they've all got a, a suave streak to them, evidently, and I like that. <laughs> you know, the father of billions of kids is actually, you know, actually a really suave teacher. <laughs> and uh, let's see. So, um, so. We get Ron talks to Fleur and is all, yes, I am so cool. Look at me. And uh, and then he mentions something about Gabrielle. And, oh. Oh. and Bill is like, shut up, you moron. And this is where we finally find out that <gasps> Bill knows who she is. <laughs> no. That is one of... I know, and I felt so horrible, and I, I just was like, oh, but maybe she didn't hear it. I kept going, oh, but maybe she didn't get to hear it. You know, because they don't really make it clear if she did or not. But she just, the door swings shut. I think she heard it. Oh, yeah. No, I want to believe in denial. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so, and I, and I love that Madame Mbay comes out with the... <laughs> African style orange, blue, and brown cloth for his robes that are shimmering with gold specks. That's awesome. 
<laughs> I, I would pay money to see someone walk into a trial wearing an outfit that looks like that. Yeah, maybe it's Vegas trial. Exactly. It's like if you ever watched the, uh, or if you ever saw the picture of um, Art Garfunkel when he was on trial with the massive yeah. afro. That's kind of the image I get in my head when I see that, when I see that or hear that about that fabric. And uh, so, okay, so moving on, Harry comes. Harry comes in and tries to get uh, Madame Mbay to give him uh, maroon robes, which yeah. I think is awesome, and I think he, sh- I think she should have done that. And uh, anyway, I'm talking an awful lot. Someone else can talk for a while. Well, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like it. I like Ron taking control and. Finally putting his foot down, putting an end to the maroon. No maroon. No more. Never again. I'm paying for my own robes. I will not wear maroon. Exactly. It's a hideous color on redheads. Like, what is Molly thinking? She ran out of colors. She used the other colors on her other five boys. (laughs) It's just horrible. (sighs) Is it Harry that jokes? Yeah, Harry's the one that's like, give him maroon. Like, he knows he hates it. Mm-hmm. I love that they've gotten past, you know, they're so comfortable with each other. They just make fun of each other. I just love it. Right. And uh, and then we get to see Fred and George and hear about their wonderful plan to uh, put some nettles into Malfoy's hair and release a glum bumble into the courtroom so that he gets all stung up and icky. <laughs> Which, I mean, honestly, you couldn't expect anything less from the twins. Yes, but he's like, no, you can't do that. Is that when they <coughs> they walk out and everybody's walking out? Oh, this is where, this is this is right after Ron discovers Harry and, her, and Jimmy. Like, they're being public, and he's surprised that nobody else seems to notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't really say anything much to my delight. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I just, want them to get embarrassed. I like I like reading about because everyone on the forums knows I'm such a, a Ginny Harry fan. It's yeah. my ultimate ship, and I love seeing them being in love, doing just a normal everyday activity. Ginny playing with his goggles and watching through the omnoculars, and just everything is so normal about it, and there's no tension in the relationship, and it's just so nice. It, it warms my heart. Mm-hmm. I love it. I totally agree with you. And so they are getting ready to go to this trial, and everyone's nervous, and it's it's it's, it's drama, drama, drama. And then Sirius shows up, and he's like, hey, check it out. Malfoy dropped the charges, which is like the big, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) which is the big sigh of relief after all of this has been going on. And, uh, what did you think about that? Were you just like, oh, good? Because to me, I was kind of looking forward to this trial, and then it was kind of a letdown. Like, they were going to do the trial, and then 
I don't know. It felt like, oh, they just, the authors decided to go a different way with it suddenly. And I don't know. How did y'all feel about Honestly, that? my first was thought was that he was up to something. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because it, well, it, 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 it was very obvious. It occurred to me, or, you know, what I thought was there is no way that Malfoy would pass up an opportunity to publicly humiliate Ron without an equally, oh, what's the good word for it, devious reason not to. Right. Well, no, that that's a good point. And? But he goes, and, like, then doesn't everybody just leave? I, I was really, like, hoping for, like, a celebration and, like, everybody just leaves. <laughs> Harry leaves. He doesn't even stick around. Well, Harry, Harry leaves, but nobody else leaves. They all go Is to that the it? elsewhere. They go to the, yeah. yeah. Harry's everybody. <laughs> there you go. I felt for him. Like, he wouldn't even allow himself to celebrate with his friend because he has to go back and be Harry, you know. But Ron convinces Sirius to go. Well, and it's also, I think... Which leads us to... Huh? Well, the only reason Sirius even went is because the other trial they were working on was... is over. And had that not happened, there's no way Sirius would have gone. Not that he wasn't happy for Ron, but he just... He is completely married to his work right now. I know. As is Harry. Yes. They both just don't know how to live, and so they're doing it. I don't know. I feel for both of them. They both think need Harry... to go take a cruise like Mac. Yeah, I don't think they need that Harry's married to his work the same way that Sirius is married to his work. If Sirius oh, is I can doing agree. it to make well, if Sirius is doing it, I think you know, like we've talked about before, to make sure that not one innocent person ends up in jail because it happened to him and he doesn't want to see it. And we've also talked about why would Harry be a dragon rider when he could have played Seeker. And I know in the last episode we've talked about, uh, you guys talked about, he might just be doing it to avoid having to get on with his life. It's, 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 yeah. it's kind of putting off the obvious. Well, I think that's what's so similar between the two of them. I think Sirius is doing the same thing because if Sirius submerses himself into work, Sirius doesn't have to think about all the years he lost, you know? I think that Sirius hasn't dealt with his time, his his lost life, just like Harry hasn't. And both of them are kind of avoiding each other because when they look at the other, I think they recognize exactly what it is that they've lost. And it's so obvious and you know, Harry's gotten to the point where he doesn't want to be, you know, he loves Sirius, he wants to be around him, but he doesn't want to hear about Sirius's life. He doesn't want, because it makes him think of his own problems. And I think that they're very similar in that, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with that. I do. Maybe? <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, that, that would, okay, the way you put it, that, that makes sense. But the way you put it also made sense, like on on a on a different level. So I don't know. I don't know. Rena, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I can see 
both sides of that argument. I really can. Because on the one hand, I mean, yes, Sirius wants to make sure that no innocent person goes to Azkaban for no reason. But Harry is doing the same thing in that he is protecting innocent people from Dementors. Their motivations, like, the reason they're doing it, Sirius won't let anyone else do it. And Harry doesn't think anyone else would do it. I think their motivation... Do you think that's it? You know, well, I mean... Well, I mean... Well, okay, no, no, it's more like this. Sirius does it because he thinks he's the only one that can do it justice. Harry does it because he thinks it's what's expected of him. I don't think it's that either. Like, I, honestly, and I'm not just disagreeing to disagree. I just want to point that out. I honestly think that it's something else entirely, because even when that Dementor showed up at Quidditch practice, Harry, you know, took it on himself to go and take care of the Dementor. I don't think he did it because it was what was expected of it. I think he did it because he doesn't know any other way to do it. Like, he kind of don't. It's like a man in that he 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 concentrates on one thing, you know, and puts all his focus on that one thing, and it's hard for him to even acknowledge anything else in a way. I also think that he's duty-bound to do this because he thinks... I, I love the way Harry rationalizes it, is if my parents were still alive, what would they do? they'd be fighting dark creatures even after oh, the war because right. it was their duty. And that's Harry's justification of, you know, if my dad were alive, he'd probably be riding on a dragon too. Which, I mean, of so course... it's not so much what they expected. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, which, of course, we will absolutely never know what James and or Lily would have done. <laughs> Just have to, you know, grab a time turner and go back 20 years and find out, you know? <laughs> I, it, it it just makes me sad. Anytime you think, you know, we'll never know what James and Lily wanted because they're dead. It's it 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 just always makes me, you know, say, wow, what a loss. It's it's very sad, and, and I feel for Harry every time that that idea comes up. Moving into chapter twenty three, which starts off with the first Chudley Cannons Quidditch match, and Ron has tickets, but. Harry did not want to go to the game. I know. It's so sad that Harry doesn't want to go. Like, he's just so busy. And Ron has to go with his brothers. And uh, you you understand it, but you feel bad for Ron all the same. Because not only has Ron had, you know, had to take the blow of his best friend making the Chudley Cannons, which is, you know, God's creation to Quidditch. And... But he won't even go to a game with him. Like, it's horrible. And so you feel for Ron and you feel for Harry because obviously Harry wants to go. But he won't allow himself to. But, you know, but he's sitting there and he's listening to it with Jenny, which I like. Like, is this where the line where they where she says, um, like, he's surprised that she's so into Quidditch? Again? Yes, yes. And she's like, hello, I like Quidditch. I'm not Hermione. <laughs> Right. I love that. I absolutely love that. And then they're listening to this this announcer, and they're trying so desperately to figure out who it is. I'm here going, it's Lee, it's Lee. 
takes them forever. <laughs> oh gosh. But then I then I got into the, I, you know, I always thought that Lee was a girl from the movies because my middle name is Lee. And so, you know, Lee can be a girl's name. And so that is I saw true. the movies, I, <laughs> the, the guy looks like a girl. <laughs> and so I, I could never decide if it was a boy or a girl, but then I just assumed it was a girl. But in the state, Lee is a boy. I thought yes, that was Lee is a boy. We are not going to give him any sex changes today. Although I'm sure but there's the a whole like a I'm sure there's an entire fandom community dedicated to a, stories featuring a female Lee, but I'm just not going to go there. No, it's like Blaze. I always thought Blaze was a boy. Yeah, he is. I thought Blaze was a boy. He is. Wait, wait. wait. Yes. What? Of Blaze, where he's a girl. No, Blaze. Girl. Blaze is a boy. Blaze is a, Blaze is a boy. But haven't y'all read fake? I knew I, it was one or the other. I can't remember. But there's a lot of fakes out there where Blaze is a girl. I know that, and I never understood that because Blaze is a boy's name. Is it? I've never heard the name before. Oh, really? I have. Really? Like it's not a very common. And I just it, it was like Lee. I thought it was like. Or Jordan, you know that any of those names can be both. I felt. Oh, that's true. I don't but know. No, I I never what? thought that. I never thought Blaze was female. I'd rather female. the announcer be Lee than Luna. Oh no way! I think Luna is the best Quidditch announcer ever. Holy cow! I would so pay money to hear her. <laughs> oh gosh! If she could even like focus on Quidditch, it'd probably be like Mac does Luna so much better than anyone alive. But no, I, you know. I I I've had to write Luna as the only character I've written, and I can create her well. But that's why I don't like her because she's not the girl <laughs> I would put commentating a Quidditch match. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would. It would be so amusing because it wouldn't be about Quidditch. It would be about you know fireflies that eat people or something like exactly. Could, oh, but that would be so <laughs> fun. <laughs> I'm not a big sports fan. About... Oh, so. If if someone fell off a broom, she'd be like, oh, the wizard bees bumped into <laughs> Exactly, and that's awesome. But, so we, we find out from the commentary that Maureen Knight left the bats at the same time that Oliver Wood left Puddlemere and joined the cannons. And wait, um, if you actually go to the After the End Yahoo group, there are a couple of outtakes that feature... Oliver and Maureen. So you get to find out well in advance about Oliver and Maureen's relationship, which I think they're really good. So if you want to check out those little outtakes, you can go to the um, Yahoo group for After the End. There are about, let's see, um, 12, I think, outtakes from various chapters that just feature little side notes, things about these extra extra little chapters and things that make the rest of the story fit a little bit better, I think. But um, actually, I need to read those. On the, on the download page of potterfickweekly.com is a version of After the End that has already included the outtakes in their appropriate places, including uh, a Maureen and Oliver part. Right. Is that the one right. that you gave, Matt? Yes, that's the one I put up there. Yes. Awesome. 
and see. I go. I've um, never read them. The way that I I've always done it is if you go through the after the end Yahoo group, they have a chapter listing which basically has hyperlinks to all of the chapters and the outtakes in order. It's similar. Um, but if you don't have a lot of, like, I don't have a lot of download space left. So it's easier for me to read everything online. So you can do it one of those two ways and uh, get to read those outtakes, which they're really great. And they add so much to your reading experience. We're not going to discuss them here because, you know, for the most part, if you're reading this on um some of the other sites, uh, fanfiction.net or Sugarquill, um, some of those outtakes aren't included. So we're not going to be discussing them. But I would encourage anyone who has a chance to go to either the Potterfic Weekly website or the After the End Yahoo group and read up on those outtakes because they're really, really good. So Definitely. I want to. You know, I, I'd heard of them. I don't know why I haven't just gone and read them. Like, I can't believe that I haven't. I just have never come them. <laughs> I know. All right. I know. The Quidditch match begins, and Harry and Ginny are listening to it, and 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 Ginny is giving him a back rub, and she keeps saying, "Oh, this is tense, and this isn't from the dragons." And here, let me try something. Take your shirt off, Harry. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, you know, the dirty-minded of us are immediately thinking, "Wow, she's totally trying to distract him from the Quidditch game." And uh, I'm all about the smut. But. <laughs> What I think is hilarious is that he doesn't even think about it that way at first. Like, he doesn't like... I know. He's so into his well, Quidditch it match. It feels so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And well, it's kind of like... it was just kind of like a bag massage relaxes you, and he wasn't feeling like That's true. That's true. Although it really does remind me of, you know, that Viagra commercial about the baseball game. It reminded me of that. <laughs> Do you know the one I'm talking about? I do. The yeah. Viagra commercial with the baseball game where it's like, in life, there is only room for one great pleasure unless you're really clever. <laughs> unless what? you're what? Really clever. Because, oh, clever. <laughs> what did you think I said? <laughs> I can't say it. Oh, Lord. Okay. I know. We do not need a Harry and Ginny Viagra commercial. <laughs> okay, there is a challenge right there for any budding fan filmmakers. Make a Viagra commercial for Harry and featuring, you know, use an example of that uh, Viagra commercial with the baseball game. Use that as your template and make a commercial for Viagra <laughs> featuring Harry and Ginny in a Quidditch match. And email it to staff at potterfickweekly.com. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if you get any responses for that. <laughs> I don't know how they would make it without being. <laughs> it's not very nice. Let's see. Okay. Because it's one thing with baseball, but, you know, broomsticks. There's puns there. <laughs> That's oh, no. okay. Moving on. Moving on. So, Sorry. you know, Jenny is uh, giving him this back massage, and she finds tension and pain in his muscles where he does not even know it could be. And yes, she's braiding the air around him. Yeah, basically. Or unbraiding it. I guess. Yeah. 
I always imagine her making like a pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have y'all ever seen those people make pretzels? Mm-hmm. Like I know she's making pretzels in exactly. the air. Yeah. And so then they start making out, and she totally passes out on the couch. And <laughs> oh gosh, seriously, they can't make out without her passing out. I know it, and it takes the whole "take my breath away" issue like <laughs> to another level. Exactly, exactly, and uh, it just it cracks me up because you know that was always one of my like nightmares that when I was like 13 or 15 and so embarrassed about everything, I was always so afraid. No, I was always so afraid that I would be like making out with my boyfriend and he would fall asleep because I was really bad at it. (laughs) Oh no. So. Really? Oh my God. I was a very bizarre child. But uh, anyway. Oh no, that's a real. No, I thought that you were bizarre that you thought. That when you kiss someone, you were gonna go unconscious. No, no, not that. Not unconscious. I meant like (laughs) fall asleep. Like, yeah. Okay. So Jenny. I think though that she scares the living crap out of him here, though. Yeah, she's really being forced to face what she is and her limitations here, because up until that's, that's not fair. That drives me crazy because we've waited so long for them finally to get together, and now that they are, she's a healer and they can't do it. I just want to know why it took this long. I mean, she's around Remus, and, like, she can, like, tell just from being in the same house that Harry and Sirius are supposed to be the really, really, really screwed up ones. Like, she can, it takes her forever to not be able to be around them. Like, I didn't quite understand the continuity there. Did y'all... Well, well, she answers that in in the next chapter. Yeah, oh, she does. Okay, yeah, then we'll go yeah. there. We'll, we'll we'll get there in a second. <laughs> so Harry goes. <laughs> he calls for Remus, and I love this scene. I'm so serious. Like the scene where Harry runs and like he roars, loop and lodge, you know. And like I just imagine Remus like immediately reverting back to war. And he doesn't even ask, like, what's going on. He just says, you need me there? And Harry's like, yep, and he's there. Yeah. I love it. I love the scene. And, like, the the tone of it changes so drastically. I mean, you're reading, and then all of a sudden your heart is racing, and you're just going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I yeah. just love that Arabella and Virginia can do that in, you know, in a couple of sentences. Right. Right. And what I love about this scene is how Remus – it says Remus came over as if he knew what he was going to find and goes directly to Ginny and gives Harry very clear orders right away because he knew something like this was going to happen and had to let Ginny make that mistake, which I feel bad about, but I also think it's a great way to write it out. Uh, I mean, in terms of plot and literary device, to let this happen to move the plot along. Yeah. You really think he expected her to do it? I mean, I, I think he uh, he prepared himself for I think he, he did it, but I, I don't think... I think he knew she was going to do it. I really think he did, because he knows about the compulsion element of it. And he also knows yeah. that Jenny has not been able to say no when it comes to Harry since she was 10 years old. Okay. And the pull of him, the pull of his feelings, and the pull of the darkness that he has inside of him along with her romantic attraction, I mean, I really think he felt that this would be inevitable. Not necessarily that it would happen 
it on this day or in this way. But I really think that he felt like uh, an issue like this would happen, and it was just a matter of time. Do you think that Remus didn't tell Harry what was going on as part of the extra punishment for Jenny, making Jenny be the one that tells him after she screwed up? I think. I always thought it was strange that when Harry's going, what is it, what's wrong, Remus is like, she can explain it to you later. Well, yes and no. Part of it, you know, yes, he's trying to punish her because he, because he knows and she knows that Harry's going to be mad when he finds out. So, yeah, it's a punishment. But part of it is this is not Remus's secret to tell. Right, and being and especially and of all people exactly exactly you know Remus of all people knows knows what that means you know it's not his place to tell Harry she needs to do it but he's not going to be the one you know he's not going to do it for her so exactly so I like that yeah it, that's why I love doing this because some of these things I don't initially just think of I'm glad we have this podcast <laughs> seriously yeah well we're all yeah, about the broadening so minds but uh yeah. so Remus is able to get Jenny back and I think it's funny she because her body yeah I have to say I'm not the biggest fan of levitating the girl like why can't the guys just pick up the girl you know it's 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 more romantic to read it's more fatherly to read but I don't know. There's something about levitating and, like, what is it called when they, like, conjure up a stretcher for something? Like, I hate that. I really do. Well, yes, but... You, fictions, I hate it. <laughs> you also have to think that part of the romantic appeal of the, oh, carrying someone when they're hurt is because there's no other way to do it. These people are around magic so much that it might not even occur to them to just carry her. It's just, oh, hey, I levitate. I, I think it would have occurred to Harry. I think I would have much, but I guess because... Remus it would have occurred to Harry, but Harry but Remus the is the one that did the levitating. I suppose. I just had to point that out, that in fanfics, I really just wish the guy would pick the girl up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a stretcher fan. Okay. <laughs> and so Harry, you know, Jenny's trying to apologize for what happened and Harry's like uh what <laughs> um uh what <laughs> and I love it you know they do clueless so well on him it's great <laughs> and uh you know now Remus and Jenny are are together and you know he just says give me a few minutes and you can come here and, and talk it out and and she will tell you what's going on she will just not right the second and then, you know, in the background, oh, crap, <laughs> that hurt. Oh. And in the background of the Quidditch game, <laughs> and it's kind of like, I love it because they use the Quidditch game as some sort of weird aside to kind of break up the chapter, to break the monotony of it. So it's kind of like you've got this complete juxtaposition of this crisis going on, and then there's a Quidditch match. And... I just think it makes the scene more real, more humbling that yeah. even though things happen, like, it's just that the emotion goes back to the game and they're like, wow, so much happened and yet everything's still the same. Yeah. I like that too, though. I thought it was funny. A good, yeah. Even though it doesn't seem funny. Like, it doesn't seem like a joke when we read about it the second time. Like, it's just sad. Yes. You're sad that 
they were having a good time and and then she got sick and he made her sick and he thinks it's his fault yeah which i hate like i hate that he assumes that like he just kissed the girl he didn't make her unconscious right like goes through his head yeah (laughs) he didn't slip or something i mean seriously i don't (laughs) yes i can just imagine the story now harry slips jenny a roofie (laughs) He acts like he is guilty for something. Well, because so much of everything in his life is always his fault. That's how he. That's how he thinks. You know. Oh gosh. So poor Harry. He feels responsible because he's always, you know, he blames himself for Hermione's parents for. For whatever happens to Ron, we're not entirely sure about that yet. Uh, he's blamed himself all his life for all these bad things, and now he's just trying to be normal. This doesn't even involve dark magic, and he's still hurting other people. He just can't help hurting people. It, 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 I feel so poorly for Harry, because you know he's, he's kicking himself for this. And yeah. he doesn't know why he's kicking himself. He just it, It's his fault. Right. It's just it's it's gone to the point where it's almost humorous. Where, I mean, yeah, all those other things. I mean, at least he could construe them to be somewhat his fault. I mean, there's an actual these things happened because of this, because of this, because of this, and I was involved. But this, like, she's sick and she's unconscious, and it's my fault because I was kissing her. Like to me, it's just completely unfounded. And I just want to shake Carrie and be like, get a grip, you idiot. Of course, it's not. Yeah. So Harry then decides to uh, lunge for the empathy and sorcery book that Remus has left on the table. And this is when it's like... Did you say lunge? Yeah, that's what it says in the story. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) His eyes strayed to the enormous book that Remus had left on the table, and in his impatience to have an answer, he lunged for it. Nice. Nice. So... He reads the. He starts reading the book, and that's when you can. I can almost see all the little ducks in his brain filing into a row, because all of a sudden it makes sense. What I like so much about this is, you know, we never see Harry pick up a book to read it and to learn something. <laughs> and I don't know why, but every time he does, I'm always like, oh yay, he's not stupid. Like I want to <laughs> do a little. <laughs> yay, our hero's not a on? moron. Okay, more often than not, Harry is more muscle than brain in a lot of fanfics. And, like, I love that he picks up a book and learns something about Jimmy from reading it. You know, like, he's not being told it by somebody else. Like, he's finding this out for himself. Like, I really liked that, even though he didn't read all of it yet. You know, and, of course, he only read the parts that he wanted to hear that were negative. But well, he read, he read the parts that Jenny had marked in the book. Yeah. Well, well yes, but you know, out of they, I, I don't want to say they're out of context, but he took it the wrong way. I would say I don't think he took it the wrong way at all. I think he took it ex- like really. He might have jumped to the wrong conclusions, but if no one recognizes this phenomenon, the novice healer will often spend his or her entire life devoted to a person whose pain is so intense that it requires constant attention, unaware that this devotion is a product of empathic magic. Now, Harry has never 
been able to believe that people love him. Never. Even when they did expect Sacrificum at the very beginning of the story, he could not believe that they loved him enough to sacrifice like this. And here is a logical explanation that would prove, no, she really doesn't love him. He was right all along. This is just magic. And the thing is, that's an actual, I mean, that's from the book. He's not taking it the wrong way. It might not be the right conclusion, but it is the truth. You see what I'm saying? I do, and I and I know that I purposely tried to think that it wasn't that, that her little schoolgirl crush and her all that was not linked to it, but it could have been. Yeah. So I guess you're right. I mean, it all could have been she picked on, up on it. But then, see, this is where it gets confusing, because it does say that her healer powers or whatever uh-huh. would only show themselves after a trauma, and she loved him before she had a trauma. Right. So then well, I was like, he well... He hasn't read that yet. Right. He's he hasn't gotten there yet. yet. You're jumping ahead of us, Jen. Come reading. on. No. He just... Sorry. He, <laughs> I thought that's what he's reading just now. No, what not yet. he just read? All he knows right now is that she has been entirely devoted to him, and he thinks it's because she's a healer. And honestly, when I read that, it just broke my heart because... In his mind, Rena, like you said, it justified everything that she had been to him from, you know, when she attended Hogwarts all the way up to the end of Voldemort. And it breaks his heart and it broke my heart, too. Oh, no. Uh, just it reading did. it. I felt so bad. And it's, and it's because... For him or for her? For both of them. For both of them. Because in this situation, yeah, she had a crush on him forever, but, you know... Even if she did love him before her empathic magic developed, who's to say that there's not, it's not affecting how she feels now? You can't tell. And the thing is, she probably doesn't know either. And Harry has never wanted to believe that anyone could love him. It's just really sad for both of them. We'll shed a tear. It is sad. So we have all this going on. And then we have this little interim thing where the the cannons have won their Quidditch match. And everyone's going crazy, and I love how they specifically mention that weird red-headed bloke trying to climb the railing and jump onto the field. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. <laughs> so we know, we know that's Ron. And yes. he's just, you and can the imagine. Thing is, it's just happening in the background. Harry's not even paying attention, but we know reading that, we're like, um, there's, well, Ron caught in the fence, and Harry's having his heart broke. Right, right. Um, and so only Harry had gone to the stupid game. I know. So Harry goes over to Remus's house, and this is where he has his confrontation with Jenny. She is well, trying. Remus is getting on her case here. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and he has every right to. He told her to be careful, and she just kind of. I know. I know. You know. He's back to being moody, Harry. Yeah, yeah. He's the angry. Harry we all love. He he basically he asks her how much of her feelings are because of empathy, and she can't give him an answer, and it's just because fine. she doesn't know herself. Like, isn't that horrible to not know? If your feelings are what you feel or... Because it's hard with a healer because that's all she is. She's a, she's a feeler. She's a feelings-er. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd be yeah. confused too. I can't say that I would have been like totally like Harry. I'm not sure that I would have been so, so angry and hurt. Probably would have just gotten really quiet and had to go away on my own and think about it for a while. Like, But he's very... He's almost in their face going, what's going on? Why? Blah, blah, blah. 
Well, it's horse is hairy. It's because, I mean, you see in there that he actually says he did not realize how much it meant to him that she loved him. And now he thinks that's been taken away. And so, and that's why he's able to get up in her face about it. Because before then, if that had happened, if he hadn't, if her loving him wasn't so important, he wouldn't care. It wouldn't be a big deal. Does it tell in the uh, healer's past or whatever that any healer was married and had a family? I don't remember. I wonder if she'll ever, do you know? No, I don't think we we know anything about any other healers except for the two that served under Grindelwald. Right, okay. Or were killed under him. I just yeah. wonder if they, end up, if they ended up being on isolation kind of like a thinker just for the fact of never quite knowing who they're actually feeling for or healing for, that kind of thing. Because everybody's got pain. I mean, they're always going to feel pain all the time. Yeah. I don't know. It would be hard. So, okay. So then in another one of these fabulous, complete perspective switches, we go into Sirius. And they are uh, cooking breakfast, which, you know, breakfast being the most important meal of the day and everything, we know that they're going to have a big, big conversation (laughs) here. And I love how Sirius is like, um, she's not a house elf because she's doing all the work. And he's like, um, her mother is going to kill us if we don't take care of her. <laughs> and then there are some very slight barbs at Sirius by Remus about the fact, well, maybe you would have known if you'd have been here. And you can see that that's still very much an issue for them. And it will be until there's a resolution to it. Which I can't say that I blame Remus about it. Sirius has obviously been working himself like a madman and he won't stop until it's done. And so while Remus knows that there's nothing he can do to fix it, he can still be snide about it. (laughs) Be like, well, fine then. Yeah. But that's Remus's job. Remus's job is to be the teacher. And in a way, he's, he's teaching Sirius, too, and pointing everything out. Yeah. And I and I, I really like, at the very end, one of the things that I really enjoyed about this story is that they gave Ron a very blue-collar kind of background. I've always thought of the Weasleys as more of a blue-collar kind of family, except for Percy. Every single one of them has really wanted to be hands-on with their work. You know, Bill goes out and is a curse breaker. He's actively in these um, pyramids and stuff doing work. I mean, obviously, Charlie's very hands-on with his work. Um, even Fred and George. Well, I, don't, I think that they have more, like, constructional-type jobs, for, you know, more physical jobs. But Percy, you know, puts the same effort and dedication into his books. And stuff. No, I'm, I'm not he, saying that. You know, he's a, got the mentality. I'm not saying the, the dedication, and I mean, the blue collar by that, what I mean by that is the blue collar kind of jobs, the construction jobs, the, you know, working with animals, yeah. the that kind of stuff. I mean, everyone except for Percy is a very hands on, you know, they want to get in there and get their hands dirty in everything that they do. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I really like that they gave that to Ron. But here at the end of this chapter, Sirius is acknowledging that Ron is really good at this legal stuff. And they're going to yeah. see if they can get him that, hired. It's Hermione's fault. Of course it is. <laughs> no, you know, not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure, like, in canon, like, I've even told Ryan this. I've said, you know, there is a reason why Ron is so good at chess. We just don't know why it is yet. Like, he's very strategical and 
that's going to play a part in book seven. And I really like that they made that a big part of his adult life in after the end. I think it's amazing. We we jump with Sirius to Azkaban, and he's discussing the new flying patterns with Charlie and Cho. And I love it that Cho is not afraid of Sirius. I oh, really not do. At all. Well, I mean, after working with five exactly. dragons, I'm not sure much scares the girl. Exactly. So many people and so many writers made Cho into, well, for lack of the better term, a big hose beast. And I really <laughs> like how Arabella and Genya didn't do that. They made her into a pretty strong woman, someone who could stand her ground. And I really, really like that because, how to put this delicately, most of the time... I really feel like some of the characters, the female characters in Harry Potter are kind of overly stereotyped. You know, Hermione well, is the look at bookish. Cho in the movies. Yeah, that's I mean, true. She doesn't seem the Quidditch type. Yeah, yeah, no all. kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and, well, and, and, and the thing that makes sense is after this was written after book four, and we know that she is a seeker and that. Cedric, who she's very attached to, uh, you know, has killed, but he had dragons in the competition, and, you know, she she was there rooting for Cedric. So I can kind of see why they'd get the idea to put her with the dragons. Um, it's a loose, it's a bit of a stretch going from Cho to Cedric to dragons to now Cho's working with dragons, but I can see why they'd have made that connection. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. I like that they just made her sort of military. I mean, to me, that's how I see these dragon riders sort of like, you know, the the Marines or something, and they go and they do this, and they're all tough, and they don't take bull crap off anybody. Yeah. But they're nice. They're still good guys. And so they get into a discussion, and they start talking, of course, about Malfoy and about his dragon and how it's just – it's. It's weird because no one's ever been able to tame that dragon before, but he's flying really well. And this whole time, I mean, I have just, I know that Malfoy's up to something. Do you you think? Oh, I I know he's up to something because he's Malfoy. And he, (laughs) for whatever else, Malfoy never does anything out of the goodness of his heart. And he never will do anything out of the goodness of his heart. This is a character that is always going to look out for number one. And I I would very strongly disagree with you on that point. This is a character who, (laughs) for generations, has been raised in a family that is always looking out for number one. Now, whether or not that means anything in, you know, what's to come in the series, I, I really don't think that matters. What matters is that he never does anything just for the hell of it or because it will help people. He does something because he has an agenda. He has a plan. He is scheming about something. And so from the very yeah, first... I have, well, I was just going to say, I have to agree with Rena in that Draco has been nothing but suspicious since the end of summer. You know, dropping the lawsuit on Ron joining dragons and turning down an offer on the Falcon Quidditch team. It's just very suspicious to me, and and you don't know what's going on with that, but I I also, you know, I don't believe that Draco is doing this out of goodness. It's my first thought when I read this is, you know, he's just creating chaos for Ron and Harry and Hermione if he had the chance. You know, he'd probably be sending hate mails to Cortona. 
Right. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, I have, I don't disagree. I want to make that clear that I actually very well see y'all's point, and I think that that's, you know, perfectly pot like probably more possible. But, but I didn't necessarily think that when I was reading it. I remember when I read it, I didn't, I didn't think Draco was good, but I didn't think that he was doing this to be bad either. Like I didn't. I, I thought maybe there was something, like, behind it. Like, after the end, Draco, you know, we don't really see redemption in him yet. Uh, you know, at least in um, Half-Blood Prince, we see that scene of him crying in the bathroom. I mean, we see some some hope for him. I mean, even if, as far-fetched as it kind of seems. But in, but in this, I remember, because he's not not doing his job, you know? Like, he's still, although he has control of this dragon and like nobody else seems to be able to do it and blah 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 and yeah we know there's something behind it he's not he's not doing his share you know what i mean like he's still working so i can't fault him yet does that make sense well even even in this chapter he ends up saving harry uh by you know harry harry and this is moving the plot forward a little bit ends up getting swarmed by Dementors. Uh, right. He's using his Patronus, which he's not supposed to be doing, and it's very desperate for both him and the Oars, and Malfoy comes in there and just saves the day for everyone. Well, and that's true. That kind of baffles me. That's true, but here's the thing that struck me, even from the beginning. Okay, I will preface this by saying I am very firmly in the camp that I, I know that Joe Rowling has said in the story, no character except for Voldemort is irredeemable. I would, even though I know that, I would say that I would think people like Lucius Malfoy, uh, Draco Malfoy, Severus Snape, they are not, they can't overcome their past crime. They're not redeemable in that sense. And I really feel that way. I thought from this entire scene, Harry's dragon is supposed to be blocking the effect of the Dementors. Something is preventing that from happening. The Dementors are affecting him, even though they're not supposed to be because of the dragon. And Draco shows up and is saving the day and looks like a hero. And so I thought immediately from the very first thing, Draco has done something to that dragon. Really? Oh, I thought that from from the very first minute I read this whole story. (laughs) Just because... I look for for the redemption, though. I want to believe that Draco is redeemable. I don't think that Lucius is redeemable. But I do think that Draco is redeemable. Like, it could happen and it could be extremely plausible because... Lots of kids are bullies and buttholes when they're little, and they grow up to be extremely decent people. You know, I like to see the good in people. And so I, I think when I read this, I really, I didn't, I wasn't so much suspicious as hopeful that, that Draco was actually, actually being good. Right. And I, I want to jump in and say that I'm right in between because I, my first thought was not Draco had done something to Norbert, but at the same time, I didn't think that he was being helpful just to be helpful and that he could be redeemable because anyone on the forum knows that I'm very anti-Draco anything, uh, especially Draco ships. Um, <laughs> but I, I I, had the same suspicion that maybe Norbert wasn't doing his job the way that the Welsh Greens 
were supposed to do the job and that it was just a problem with the dragon. Well, I mean, and, and, and that's a possibility as well. I know, but, but just personally for me, I just automatically assumed that Draco had something to do with it because even if it wasn't a malicious intent, that's just the kind of antagonist that Draco has always been. He's always there to try to make things as miserable and uncomfortable as possible for Harry. He doesn't want to be shown up by him. And so here we go. Now Draco can come out and ride this dragon that's obviously obeying him for whatever reason. What's even better is here, I'll go mess with Harry's dragon so that Harry's dragon won't obey him. So that Malfoy can play the hero just because it makes him look better than Harry Potter. And I mean, and he's done that consistently through canon. He tries to just pick on Harry and just irritate him. And I can't see that changing in this instant. I mean, that's why I thought that. So. No, I, I can't I, either. I think all are legitimate points. Yeah. I so. And I say kudos to Arabella and Jenya for writing a Draco that, at least I know myself, that I love to hate. Because I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's great that they kept that in the character. Writing a character I love to hate. Which is why yeah. I like reading Draco as the bad guy. Yeah. Exactly. I always like the hate to love ones better. I think. So. So. Okay, well, they get back on the ground and are obviously, Nor- Norbert is sick and Sirius shows up. And they kind of have, like, this is the first time that I really thought that Harry slapped Sirius in the face with a comment. Like, I was really like, oh, my gosh. When Sirius shows up and he goes, you're coming home now. And Harry goes, I don't live at Lupin Lodge anymore. I'm going to stay here. And, like, like I, I thought, oh, my gosh, that was just so harsh. And, like, it just shows how angry Harry still is at Sirius for mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons, yeah. you know? Well, and let's not forget that Harry has just had to relive his mother's death and all of these awful things happening in his head. He's probably not in a good mood towards anybody right now because he's just relived some of his worst memories. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He's probably a little irritable. Yeah. But it was still very hurtful, I thought, a little bit. You know, Sirius is screwing up is screwing up so so much in this pick. Like I just want to strangle him at times, but I didn't feel he deserved that comment. I don't know. Yeah. Trying as best as Sirius can try at yeah. the moment. Okay, but then they do a memory. I love the memory scenes, just so y'all know. <laughs> of Lily, you know. And James, Her, Lily was breastfeeding Harry. It shows where Lily is depending on Sirius, and and oh, this just breaks my heart. Where you know she looks at Sirius and she says, "You'll take care of him. You'll love him for us." And you know James is like, "Oh, don't say that. We're not going anywhere." And Lily's like, she knows something's going to happen to them. I was like, oh, that was a little deep for me. I thought it was. That Lily was so. It was. It was very gone. deep. I thought it was a very sentimental comment prefaced with the idea of magic allowing men to breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> Which I just had to that absolutely cracked me up, although I'm really afraid that if we get into a serious discussion about here, we're going to have to end up talking about the incidents in fan fiction of men carrying children, and I just, I have way too many. I cannot do. No. I cannot do male pregnancy. I cannot. Well, you, you know. I Earlier we talked about, we we weren't going to discuss characters having sex changes, 
But honestly, if they can give a man boobs that easily just with a magic spell, they're probably a little more common in the magical world. You know, I mean, I, I, th- I think, I, I really think, Jen, this is one of the few aspects of fan fiction that we agree on is... <laughs> that male pregnancy is It's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, I will read a slash fic. I will. I'll read a slash fic. It's not my favorite. I have very, you know, I'll read a Rima serious fic, but I cannot cannot even contemplate no. like if i see male preg i'm just like back, back, it's like back. no absolutely no. not it's just you know i understand that fanfic is about you know writing your own version of the events but come on we have to obey the laws of freaking <laughs> physics of the- and that's just not gonna happen i'm sorry it's just especially you know okay yes especially when they're like oh senior you know, just, oh, just the idea frightens me so much. Should we move on to chapter 24? Well, no, I just want to say yeah. one other thing really fast about this whole thing, especially, especially the ones where there is some way for two men to conceive a child through butt sex. Oh. It's just like, okay, baby that Jesus would cry. Exactly. That makes the baby Jesus cry. It makes the baby Jesus cry oh. very, 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 very much. Okay. Jesus and I are having conversations about butt sex. <laughs> this has been like the most adult-oriented show Arctic Weekly's done yet. All right. Okay, so moving on to Chapter 24. Right. Moving on to Chapter 24, we have... Uh, it frightened him, I swear. I'm yes. sorry. Okay, so moving on to chapter 24, okay. we have the Halloween feast at Hogwarts, which Professor McGonagall has organized to basically show off the progress that they've made on rebuilding the school because she is just hell-bent for leather that she's going to open the school back up next year and she wants everyone to come and see how much progress that they've done so that parents will not be afraid to send their children back. And, I mean, I think that's a pretty good idea. It is a legitimate. It's a good one. Yeah, and not to mention, we always, do, we always do Halloween in the Great Hall. Of right. course. Right. I love that they have everybody back. And yeah. I have to say Peeves is Lawn because it's so funny. Yeah. Happy, happy Halloweeny. Watch your head because I'm a meanie. And it. see, I think I it's such it. a travesty that they didn't put Peeves in the movies. I, I mean, I, I understand know. why they didn't or why they couldn't. But still, I think it's super sad because Peeves just would be such a great character. But mm-hmm. anyway, so... They're not still yet. We've got two more. That's true. That's true. And so we get this We get this from Ron's point of view. And he's talking about, you know, he listens to McGonagall's speech because it sounded like something Hermione would say. And he wants Aww. pictures. He's so bad. I know. He wants pictures from Colin so he can send them to Hermione. And she's been gone for 58 days, and that's the longest that they've ever been apart, even over the summers when they having, were in school. And that's just. I would think that having a conversation with Ron at this point would be like talking to a Hermione wall. Just, oh, you know, the sound of your voice made me think of Hermione and walked by and. I remember when Hermione brushed my shoulder as she walked by. Yes. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yes. And I love then, Ron. I love Ron. 
talks about her letter, and then Harry shows Is this up. Is dirty and, letters? Yes, I think, well, I think it goes on to be a dirty letter, but then Harry walks up, and so he has to stuff it in his pocket. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and I really, really like how the Hogwarts faculty began the festivities by reinitiating the spell to fix the ceiling because that was always mm-hmm. the big center point of the great hall was the magical ceiling and so and I really like that I can't imagine it I know I can't imagine it not being up I know and And then Fleur is there Yes I love I love I love Fleur in the story because she's you know and this is sad but this version of Fleur is almost, I think, better than the canon version of Fleur. Because Of course it is. It's way better. Because way. the canon version of Fleur, especially in the later books, is such an effing moron. And at least in this story, it's again, it's like Cho. She's a very strong woman. You know, and it irritates me because... Fleur was a champion. She was a ha- she was a, the Bobatons champion. She would not have been picked if she wasn't brave and courageous and intelligent and all of those things. She yeah. would not have been picked if she didn't have those qualities. And so, and now, even in canon, Fleur is just like some complete moron, and it irritates me so much. And I really like the way they've written her here. Yeah. And so, well, the thing is, I think I think this Fleur is still the canon Fleur that we saw in Goblet of Fire, but we have to remember the crucial difference is that in After the End, she lost her sister. So right. She's still the same person, except she's hurt and wounded. She's, and she's it, just as damaged as everyone else. Yeah, I think she's... Well, we get to see more of the Vila also in her in this fic than we do. You know, how she's she's so much more adult in yeah. this fic. She's grown up so much. And, and I think part of it is, most of it's losing her sister, but they just added a depth to her that she didn't have in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we get to see that, you know, Ron knows something's wrong with Harry throughout this when they're talking to Fleur. And I love how Fleur goes off to dance with Neville because, you know, Neville does not get enough props, I think. And Neville rocks my face off. And I'm so glad that he gets to dance with the hottie in this one. Ron, Ron, yeah, Ron knows that something's going on with Harry, and so he's trying to he distract him. Tell. Yeah, he's trying to distract him and talk to him and get him to walk around the Quidditch pitch, and and he's just like, I don't feel like flying. I think I want to go. And suddenly, Ron loses his patient, cool side that we've been like. He's been having unending, you know, patience with Harry. Yeah. And finally, he's just like, what the bloody hell is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And, well, and Harry is me. One time, he's like, shut up. This is the one time he detaches himself from his Hermione train of thought and finally says, this is not how Hermione would handle it, but she's not here. I'm his best mate. I'm going to say to him what needs to be said. And he, he, he puts him on the spot. And he tells him. He's very upfront, and I like, I like how Ron is very upfront with your best friend because after seven years, and a war and everything they've been through, that's how that's how two best friends would be. Yeah. Yeah, of course it would be. Well, they're family. They're more than friends to me. Well, yeah. Yes, they are family. I'm, uh, yes. You know, and you yell, who, if you can't yell at your family and tell them what's what when they need to be told, who can you tell? Exactly. Or who would do it? Who and would do it? It's you always know? been the Weasleys that have been able to put Harry in his place. Yeah, and Ron is the only one that Harry's going to listen to. Uh, in that sort of manner. If Sirius did it, Harry would feel that Sirius was trying to be an adult and put Harry in the kid position. I mean, no one else can do it. 
It's oh, no, Hermione did it. It would be her nagging. Do you know what I mean? Ron is the only agree. one who can yell at Harry. It's yeah. going to be Ron or Ginny, but since Ginny is the problem the here, yeah, yeah right. but Ginny could do it too, because Ginny did it in canon, you know, you're not the only one who's been possessed. Right. Sit down, shut up. So exactly. I would say Ginny could do it too. But because it's it's most of the time that, you know, screw someone up is relationship problems, it's not going to be Ginny. Yeah. Ginny will help him later on with all the other stuff, but, and you know, and she'll kind of lead him. But the one that's going to knock the sense into you is going to be your best friend, no matter if you're married or, or not. Yeah. And I, I love the advice that Ron gives him. He says, you know, whatever is wrong with you two, just yell and get over it. And Harry's like, that's not how it works. And Ron's like, no, trust me, that's exactly how it works. You yell, <laughs> you make up, that's how you end a fight. And go figure, Harry Potter is in the only relationship in the world where you can't just yell and get it over. Because he they can't even know it. it. Yeah. How, how would he know that's how you make up? I mean, well, I mean, I, I'm sure that he's seen Ron and Hermione, and like they are the epitome of relationships everywhere. You know, fight, 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 make up, fight more. <laughs> but yeah. he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand how it works. So Ron ends up just storming off, and he's he goes over and he's listening to Sirius and Penelope talking about what's going on with the different shield spells that they've been trying to develop, the prison charms, and which obviously Penelope is very educated on this kind of stuff, and he gets into it with Ginny, and, and I love how they're wanting to go out to the Quidditch pitch, and, and Ron's like, you, you, you can't bring a baby to the Quidditch pitch, you could be hit by a bludger, <laughs> when the whole time you'd think that Ron is the one who's so obsessed with Quidditch that he'd be the one be like, come on, we need to get Leo out on the Quidditch pitch so he can learn how to be a Quidditch player. You know, and I love how he's so like, wait a minute, no, it's a baby. <laughs> I know, I love that. It's it's not out of character because I can see it both ways, but I think it's funny because you can see it both ways. And yeah, I just love that he like to hear him and Jenny like take turns in this scene. <laughs> Jenny's the one's like, Ron, don't be stupid and don't scare Penny. <laughs> <laughs> but then it goes on and and they see. Harry, like, doesn't, Jenny runs into Harry, and Ron is just like, here, give me the baby, you know, because he knows they need to talk. Yeah. And and Harry, and Ron is like, Harry, come talk to my sister. Jenny, talk to Harry. And Harry is just so angry, and, like, he's not, I don't think he's angry at Ron here, and he's not angry at Jenny. Like, he's so angry that he can't talk to Jenny. He's angry at himself. He's frustrated. Oh, he's, he's angry at Ron right now for, for, <laughs> Dragging, for dragging him out there under the pretense of looking at the field, and now he's stuck near Jenny, who he can't be near. He's, he's, he's a little fumed at, at Ron. Really? I just took it as he was just furious at the situation that he's still mad at Jenny. He can't talk to her because she's a healer, and it's her fault for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's not her fault. And, and, I, yeah, and I, they're not, He's not seriously mad at Ron because, you know, they get over very quick by both calling Ron a name at the same time. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, you bond with someone you're not talking to by making fun with someone else. <laughs> you know? And then Ron is, Ron is so helpful and he's just like, you're both daft. <laughs> you're both stupid idiots, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yes. They're there talking and they forget that Ron is there listening in on their conversation. Right. And then, once they start arguing, 
Ron's like, see, you're arguing. I knew this would work. And he walks off, and they both make the comment. She calls him a big head boy, and he goes, smug bastard. And then they both laugh about that. And it, that's, you know, that's what gets them talking again. So as much as, you know, Ron has no idea what's going on, he does get them talking. He does get dialogue going. So he was right in some ways. And then they, they get into a discussion finally, which is good because they've needed to talk about this. And I love how Harry went and bought the book. I love that he listened and, to it. And he listened dragon. to it while he was on the dragon. I love that. He got the book on CD or something. Well, no, he put a spell on the it audio. so that he could listen to it. I know. Which, okay, honestly, after <laughs> I thought about this, Ryan has a program that will read it out loud. And that's how he reads fan fiction. And so, and so that's what I thought about. I like that. when I read through this the second time, I was like, "Hey, Ryan totally needs that." <laughs> and uh, and so, but they talk and they find out that he can't. She can't be around Sirius, and she can be around Remus, but it's not. It's not like with Harry, and you know, she finally is able to admit that it's because she's willing to open herself up to Harry. You know, she wants to open up to him, to let him into every part of her life. And when she does that, though, she gets every part of him. And that's what makes... And it's too much. Exactly. And that's what makes it so difficult for her to be around him. And and that she, she loves being around Leo because he's such a relief to her. Because he's a baby. He has no fear. He has no pain. He has no history. He's just a baby. <laughs> and, and that and, answers and the I question. Guess this, oh, I'm sorry, Max. Well, I was just going to say, that answers the question from earlier that Jen had asked about why can she be around Remus and why can she be around Sirius, because she's not trying to make out with Remus or Sirius, thank God. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would just seriously creep me out. <laughs> My point was, though, that she, what we were saying was she felt compelled to be around Harry and that's what caused her to like him blah 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 like was it initial or was it her healing powers and she's saying I haven't had I haven't tried to do anything for Sirius which kind of contradicts it because wouldn't she even though she's not doing anything wouldn't she feel compelled to because he's so screwed up like like she was compelled to do the thing with Remus she's compelled to help Harry in close proximity or maybe it's just been that Sirius has been away and I mean we could write it off as that but really she should have felt compulsion to help Sirius just like she felt compelled for anyone else when Sirius is in the room do you know what I mean that's what my point was so it was kind of a you know yeah that was the point did that does that make sense yeah I understand and 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 you see you know she wants to be with him she wants to hug him she wants to touch him but she can't, you know. She ends up falling over, and she's like the girl on the X Files, the one that can't touch people. Right? Oh yeah, uh, the X Men. Yeah, rogue. Yeah, she's like rogue from X Men. Rogue. Uh, yeah, she's rogue. And that she, all she wants to do, she, you know, she says she could get <laughs> the point across to Harry so much better if she could just touch his arm while she was saying this, just the, that soft touch to convey. But she meant, and she can't even do that. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if she got some gloves or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So. Uh, it's it's worse than Rogue though, because Rogue, you know, it's just skin on skin contact for Jenny. It's she can't even be near him. Yeah. 
And she's only near him now because she's holding the baby, right? Yeah. Well, she, yeah, she doesn't even really, she doesn't get too close to him, I don't think. Yeah. And so then Harry has to leave and go on his shift. And so Ginny joins the pickup Quidditch match that's going on and ends up uh, bogarting Ron's letter from Hermione. And... (laughs) And decides to read it out loud. And this is a dirty letter. <laughs> and that absolutely cracked me up when I read it. Because, you know, first of all, because it's the sibling, the sibling thing. The part that, you know, Fred's or George's reaction to it when, when they're all talking about, you know, what's going on. And they're making fun of Ron for it. And it's just, it's that same sibling dynamic. And I really love to see that because a lot of times, like we were saying earlier, you forget that there's this family dynamic here because so much of the time we don't get to see it. You don't get to see them just goofing off and being siblings and, you know, taking the piss out of each other just, you know, because you're siblings. But I really love that interaction. And then uh, Jenny uses it as inspiration. She's like, well, maybe if I can't touch Harry, I can write him some dirty letters. I know. I love that she comes to that realization. I love it. I did love it, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still imagining the scene where poor Ron has this dirty letter fall his pocket. And to make things just a little bit worse, it's not just him and Jenny. Fred and George are there. Angelina's there. The, I mean, there's a big group there. Yeah. And Fred's just cracking up. He's like, "Oh, that's that's brilliant." And, uh, I'm, I'm still stuck on that because I love that. That is great. This is just great. <laughs> Yeah. I love seeing the family. Honestly, I love reading things about the Weasleys and how they interact and how they make fun of each other, and yet they all love each other, and it's just awesome. I yeah. wish I had a big family. And the twins. I, I, it's it's yeah. the twins, but uh, they're my favorite. I mean, aside from Ron and Jenny, they're my favorite of the older Weasley brothers. Yeah. I don't know. I'm having a thing for Charlie and his towel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't have that so much. No, oh, not really? a strong desire of mine, yeah. <laughs> I don't see how that's possible. No, that's funny. Yeah, I would I would be disturbed, I think, if you did. <laughs> well, I, I, I had my notes on the on the forum about Ginny and the towel, but then we, we stopped that yeah. before it really got good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Oh. Uh, we need more we need more Weasley sisters. That's funny. There you go. You know, I read a fic the other day, and there was, like, two more of them. (laughs) Pretty good. It was funny. Okay. Chapter 25. Inquiring minds want to know. I like the little notes. I just want to say, I like the little author notes at the beginning. Have y'all, like, read them all? Yes. Yes. How they liken it to running. Yes, compared to running. This chapter is a nice, long walk. But then if you jog a lot, like Arabella does, then the next smile is a breeze. Like, it's just hysterical. I yeah. love their little notes. Fortunate enough to get this story after it was all written. I didn't have to wait for it like so many fans did. So I, I like their note about thanks to everyone who's patient in their writing because we're Harry Potter fans, and what are we if we're not patient? Yeah. I could not have waited. I could not. I was one of the – I read this after it was completed for the first time. I could not have waited. Yeah, I couldn't have waited. It would have killed me. I like more of the Weasley dynamics, and mm-hmm. as much as we love watching the siblings interact, I love watching Molly interact with her kids because 
each of them has their own little things. You know, Bill's ponytail, Charlie and his crazy dragons, and the twins. Oh, the twins. God, they're always causing mischief, but she really does love them. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love Molly. Molly Molly just cracks me up because I think she is the every Do you think Molly? Do you like this yeah. Molly better than Canon Molly, or do you think they're one and the same? Um, I think they're very similar. No, I I don't I don't think this is the same Molly that is in Canon. One, just because we get to see her so much more, and two, just because I I, I think this Molly's pushed a little bit more active, a little more vocal in her kids' lives than Canon Molly gets to be. Yeah. I agree. And I, I love, I love, love, love how she jumps in and she's she's trying to convince Penelope not to move because Penelope says, oh, well, you know, they're selling flats in, in Diagon Alley for a galleon and then you fix them up. And she's like, oh, well, you know, fixing up a flat is very tiring and, and Diagon Alley is not a good place to raise your children. And <laughs> uh, I like, I like how Rose... Brown shows up, I think, and she's just, Molly's like, that Rose Brown is a pretty girl. Wasn't Rose Brown had, I think Molly was trying to set Bill up with pretty Rose, <laughs> you know, trying to hint around. Oh, yeah. Rose Brown yeah. And well, that's and like then, so far. Then we, then we get brought to Farm's Wife, and is, is this the same magazine from Canon? No. I can't remember. No. The one from Canon was Witch Weekly. That's right. Okay. Because I confirm. But it still has an awful author who's skewing the truth and making trouble for his right. empire. Always. And in, and in this case, the seductive daughter. Right. Which is fantastic. Right. Um, I mean, what did you guys think about the, the article in, 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 in uh, Charmed Life? Well, uh, on the one hand, you know, it's not inflammatory. It could have been worse. You know? Yeah. I think well, yeah, it, I don't like it when I don't when Molly reads these things and assumes that they're true. It bugs me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I like that, that Penelope was just like, It's not real. You know, everybody's like, How can they publish that? How can they do that? And you know, it's just not I don't know. I think because we've read so many other articles that are so much worse that this one didn't seem that bad. Yeah. Well, and it's not so much the article as it is the picture. Right. Uh, which we haven't had a picture before, um, a doctored-up picture at that. I know. I mean, I didn't know they could Photoshop in the Wizarding World, but evidently they can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's greatly disturbing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I you would think that being married to the minister and having as many kids and as experienced Witch Weekly as they've had, that Molly would have picked up that it was fake a lot quicker. I know. She that that character trait of hers even in canon really bugs me. Yeah. A lot. Especially about like Harry and Hermione like I just uh I just don't even want to read it. I'm just like Molly quit being a moron. We know you're not stupid. Mm-hmm. But she does. She acts like a, one of those sad little people that stay at home and have cats and just read articles and believe that aliens are coming and destroying us, you know. <laughs> I hate that. I mean, I don't hate Molly. I hate people like that. Yeah, but I, I think my favorite reaction of all is Charlie, who gets to be the defensive big brother and wants <laughs> to put something in Norbert's food to make him a little more excitable. And I, I like Bill chipping in, you know, more excitable than usual. It's a dragon. Right. <laughs> and, uh... uh. 
Well, and I'm I, one crazy little guy. Yeah, I I love the the way kind of through here. You know, Bill and Charlie are picking on each other because Molly is obviously trying to set one of them up with Secretary Privy Rose K. Brown. And, you know, Bill says blondes aren't my type. And she's like, well, how about Charlie? And Charlie's like, no, blondes aren't his type. Besides, Rose doesn't go with the name Charlie as well. And then they get into a slap and tickle match, which just cracks me up. I love that. (laughs) I love that. I do, too. I love that they keep teasing each other about their potential girlfriends, but neither of them will admit to the other. <laughs> it's hysterical. Yeah. And well, I mean, they've always done that. You know, they teased Jenny when she was growing up about Harry, and I- I'm sure they, if they got wind of Juan Juan, they would have made fun of him for that forever. Yes. <laughs> that was horrible. Oh. But yeah, this whole chapter is just, you know. At least the beginning is the the Weasleys, the Weasley family, and how they react to things and how they comfort each other and how they tease each other. And I really just like that, you know. And they're, you know, and then Sirius shows up, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, and they, I love how they go. Well, Sirius will just have to have a talk with Harry, and Sirius is like, "Eh, No, I won't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Harry, you know, the last time Sirius tried to talk to Harry and be an adult, Harry yelled at him and said, I don't need you anymore. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, I just, uh, it's just bad. I love it. Sirius spends his day prosecuting the evil people of the wizarding world, and he's afraid to have a conversation with an 18-year-old boy. It's like, wow, nice to know your true colors. I know. It's so sad, and he just doesn't know how to do it at all. And he's not making the effort very hard, you know, and when he does do it, he comes across as, you know, I have to say this, whenever I try to give one of my, like, I'm the oldest in my family, I have two girls, so it's not saying much, but um, when I try to tell my sister advice, I think it comes across a lot of times as I'm bossy, I'm older, and I just know better, and I think that there is a way to talk to people who you're trying to give advice, and that's not necessarily the way that people want to hear unless it is parent to child. Does that make sense? And I think Sirius is trying to do that, and Harry doesn't view Sirius as the parent. He views him as a friend, and you don't talk to friends that way. And I think Sirius doesn't know how to be friends with Harry because he thinks he needs to be the parent, and that's what's causing all of the drama problems. Yeah? Is that sound right yeah I, I think that sounds right and you know we can't forget that you know most people would say well Sirius is 40 Harry's 18 they should be able to work it out somehow but Sirius has also lost 12 years of his life in Azkaban so he's still not completely an adult yet himself I would argue yeah he's not there yet so and part of it is he doesn't know how to talk to Harry but a big part of it also is he doesn't necessarily some of the stuff that Harry does, you know, and the way he reacts and stuff, Sirius doesn't, I mean, honestly probably thinks that he would react similarly in that situation, you know, because they're a lot more similar than they are different, I think. And so he doesn't want to seem like, you know, he doesn't want to be the hypocrite. Right. And yet. (laughs) And yet you need to be the parent. It's, you know. I know. They have their wrestling match. Arthur acts as a referee and 
Molly, I like how Molly just, you know, thinks about how fortunate that at least they're all together. Yeah. And they, they remember to be thankful. <laughs> we leave the Weasleys and we, we get to see Harry and Ron and I like them. I really like them in this next part because they're finally starting to act more regular. Right. They're playing chess. Regular. And, you know, it's just them being friends, playing chess, Ron antagonizing Harry about his moves. And I just like watching them together because it's nice to see them not yelling at each other and not fighting for their lives. Yes. Well, Ron seems to be the only person who brings this side of Harry out. You know, the young, carefree kid, I mean, the semi-young adult that's supposed to actually be enjoying life. And it seems to me like every time we get a Ron and Harry moment, they're acting like two young boys. And I say young as in school-aged. They act like some of my kids that I teach. They run around and they, you know throw rocks and kick rocks together and they go and they play Quidditch and here they are playing chess. You know, I just, I love it and I like how you say it makes them seem regular because it does, it kind of reverts them back to canon which is the age of the where they're supposed to be kids, right? But yeah. they didn't mm-hmm. get that full time and so I think that they kind of both see each other as, I want to say an outlet. They both Whenever they're together and they're, you know, it's not life or death and they're not talking about girl problems, which is one of the other siblings, you know, they just enjoy being young together and they bring the best out in each other. Yeah. And, and the I best part of it all is that. Ron doesn't have to get Harry drunk this time to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. Yeah. Excellent point. So while they're sitting there playing chess, Harry gets a letter from Ginny. And I, I love how Ron wants to make fun of him. He really does, but he doesn't. Well, Harry did to Hermione. Harry did to Ron and her, Hermione. Yeah. But the difference is Harry doesn't know how to take it. Yeah. Like, and Ron is so used to taking it, and that's what's so hard. And I think Ron realizes that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and Hermione know. has the same problem from taking jokes from the Weasley brothers yeah. being treated like yeah. part of the family, Harry has problems being teased about a girlfriend because he's never been in that position before. Yeah. And so he reads he reads the letter, and he wants to say something back, but he can't think of what to say. So who does he turn to? Hermione. <laughs> I love that. His answer to everything is turn to Hermione. And I, and I love it because... He wants her to give him, like, a set of step-by-step instructions. This is how you write a letter. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. And that just absolutely cracks me up because he's still in that school mode where Hermione has the answer for everything. Well, I just love that for the first time he acknowledges. I mean, he he's, he's asking a girl, one of his friends that is a girl, to give him help with his girlfriend. Yeah. It's such a – I've had lots of friends that are boys – that have done the same thing. And I love that Hermione is being able finally to be in that position to give out girl advice. Yeah. Well, and, and what makes so this funny. so funny is that Hermione's in Cortona and he's still going to write to her and wait for a response <laughs> on how to handle this. Because if yeah. they were a tool, it would make a little more sense. You know, you can't go to Ron and yeah. his sister. Right. You go to Hermione. Right. Who's the next okay, best thing? Okay, that I foresee. But mm-hmm. writing to her when she's off 
in a Greek island, find somebody else. Right. <laughs> and he, he eventually, he does realize that this is a bad idea, so he burns up the letter and decides yep. he's going to just go for it himself. And he starts writing a letter, and of course, he's just, he's writing about, you know, thanks, I'm sorry, uh, I'm glad we talked, uh, <laughs> you played Quidditch, Norbert was sick. It's a hairy letter. Yeah. He is so bad with words. Halloween was good at Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> Nearly I was make asked about you. Yeah. <laughs> Hope things are good with being a thinker. I mean, <laughs> and you know they're genuine. <laughs> I think that Ron's letters are, I like Ron's letters yeah. compared. And not, you know, not the smutty parts. Like yeah. The, the, the more descriptive. And so um, Harry goes... So Harry manages his letter to Ginny, and he kind of fumbles through it, but he does it. And then he goes downstairs where Ron and Sirius are having a conversation about what happened with Norbert and the Dementors. And then Ron is apparently in my camp when it comes to this because he says it's Malfoy. I know it's Malfoy. And Sirius is saying, but it wasn't. You know, he he saved him. And Ron's like, no, it doesn't matter what he did. He he is doing this for his own good. You know, he's not writing for the same reasons that Harry is. You know, everyone's got, you know, and in Sirius is like, look, everyone has their eye on him and he has not done anything wrong. But Ron is still just adamant that it's Malfoy. And, and yeah, I am too. But, you know, hey. <laughs> you Draco haters. I, I'm not a Draco hater. And I'm not saying that, you know, there there are some stories out there that portray Draco um, coming to the side of the light because he realizes that they're the winners, you know, and I can see that because oh, yeah. he's not yeah. he's not coming to the light because he wants to help out the light and save people. He's coming to the light because he figures they're going to be the winners in this battle and they'll be nicer to him and he'll come out on top that way. He doesn't. I mean, and and this is why I have a problem with stories that portray Draco as all of a sudden turning into this loving, caring kind of person, because he's not. He is in this for his own motivation. And sometimes, yeah, he does nice things for people. He doesn't do them to be nice. He does them because there's something in it for him. And that's what Ron is saying yeah, at this at this point in the story, and, and I agree with that. And and I, and I love yeah, that. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. If, and, if, if Draco is going to be good, it's going to be for his own benefit, not for the, uh, not just to be good, because good right. right. Draco's exactly. doing it for greedy, selfish reasons. Yeah. We're talking about this story, right? Yes. Okay. Well, I meant in general, but I still, I obviously he's talking about... I do think he's going to be redeemed. <laughs> but but he's not going to be redeemed. He, he won't come to the side of the light because he wants to. He'll come to the side of the light because he thinks that's what's best for him, not because it's what's best for everyone else. I mean, well, I'm not yes, saying that it's completely beyond may, the realm of possibility. Well, I mean, that may be his initial reasons. But I still like to believe that people can change. You know, kids, parents have to make kids do certain things that they may not see is the right thing to do at that moment, but they still do them, and the kid eventually will go, you know, you're you're right, and wake up, and I hope that that happens to Draco. Like, yeah, his reasons for coming over may not be right or noble or even remotely good, but he could learn. He could learn to be good. 
Well, we're just going to have to leave this as the unanswerable debate between me and Jen, because she obviously wants to believe that Draco can be a sweet little kitten at heart. What? And I think he's a complete <laughs> jackass. So we're just going to have to leave it at that. <laughs> Otherwise, this podcast is going to be like seven hours long. So okay. I have to just tell y'all, I just got an IM from Ryan. Uh-huh. And I'm going to read you exactly what he says because I don't quite understand. He said, breaking news from Virginia, Sirius is naked throughout all of After the End. You guessed it. <laughs> oh, that was the question about that was the question about from last week, what is Sirius wearing? Yes. <laughs> He's just naked the whole time. That's awesome. <laughs> naked throughout the He's, he's, he's in the those... gen camp of everybody being naked all right. the time. He's a nudist. We're in cows. They're either naked or in a towel. There we go. Hey, speaking of serious, Sirius and Harry take a walk. Right. Which is good because they need to talk about some things. And they talk about how... This is going to be awkward. Yeah. They talk about how, you know, the way Ron kind of feels about Malfoy is the way that Sirius felt about Snape. And... You know, which, I mean, I actually draw a lot of parallels between Sirius and Ron, you know, because you get the idea that they're kind of the sidekick kind of guys. And, you know, it's just like you can draw the parallel between Hermione and Remus. They're the bookish kind of ones. So you find out that Sirius brings up these, you know, just kind of secret weekends that he and James used to have. And he decides that he wants to bring it up with with Harry as well. And I love how the first thing he says is how they um, uh, they entered Padfoot in a dog show. I think that's the best thing ever. <laughs> I really, really do. Yeah. Because I can just imagine. I love watching dog shows. I really do. And I can just imagine. Really? Oh, I love watching dog shows. I love I dogs. I'm so bored. I absolutely love dogs. And I... Uh, and, I watched, and Padfoot entered. Yes, I can just imagine because I see Padfoot being like a big Newfoundland or something, and I could just see a big Newfoundland trying to do a jig. I think that is hilarious. Well, advanced mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Can you imagine the muggles' faces? Oh, I know oh, it. Good gracious! And. And I love how, you know, they went to a haunted house and they actually haunted it. And they went to Disney World and Bermuda Triangle and Mount Everest. And they just went everywhere just kind of and hanging Yeti. out. Yeah. And I love how Sirius wants Sirius wants to do that for Harry. And part of it is because yeah. this is, you know, James never got to do stuff like that with Harry. And so Sirius wants to, wants to do that for him. And I like that. That's and I very think sweet. this is just an absolutely fantastic idea. I, I mean, I never would have thought of something like that, but it, it's a way to connect Sirius and Harry finally. And I just, I mean, I, I, I was really floored by the idea. But these are all the things you want wizards to do mess with muggles, to do muggle things with <laughs> magic. Yeah. Yes. And I, I love. I was just so glad to see them do something together. Finally, finally, Sirius is stepping in and like, you know, and we find out a little bit more about James, too, because so far, you know, we, I, what I like so much about After the End is we actually get to find out what James and Lily were like. I'm so tired of canon 
And they're just like, yeah, James had an invisibility cloak, and Harry looks just like him, and Harry has Lily's eyes. And, you know, that's it. I hate it. And I like that we get to see, you know, we get to learn that James was actually this marauder <laughs> that we hear so much about. Yes. I just thought that I would play yes. And I love, I love the description of the trick they played on Petunia and Vernon because they basically like flipped them acid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and uh, and I love how they bring up afterwards. You know, they they went to the opera, and then all of a sudden they started screaming about pink elephants, and and they have every reason to believe that Dudley was conceived that night. I think that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> And I just I want to know how they came up with this stuff. Like you know, how they came I do up too. with retaliation operation. Oh, I know it. I love the name retaliation operation. I think yeah. that's awesome. And you know, they, he points out that Dudley's a prison baby. That I just about died when I read that. That absolutely cracked me up. And so you know, so they they talk all about this, which is good because this is. You know, Harry and Sirius have had such tension between them. And this was supposed to be their time to just hang out and and be together and, you know, have any kind of relationship, get to know each other. And they haven't had that chance. So they finally got a chance to talk. And I really like that they did. The only thing I don't like about this is that it was James's turn. So Sirius says, it would be your turn. And I, I, I would have liked to see Sirius come up with the first idea just because he's had the experience, he could probably do something fun with Harry, you know, right away. But he kind of puts it in Harry's court. And, you know, Harry has no idea what to do or what would be worthy of James. That's I, true. I, I wish that Harry said, here's what we'll do first. Yeah. To give you an idea what it's like. Yeah. That's, that's I, my I own think point. I liked it. I think I liked it a little bit that Sirius let Harry choose because he kind of let Harry set the tone because he knows that Harry is not James. And he also knows that that Harry is a little bit more serious. And I don't know. I kind of liked that he, he was thoughtful enough to let Harry choose, set the tone and not do something that would seriously make Harry uncomfortable from the beginning or, you know what I mean? I don't know. I thought it was a nice gesture. So I wasn't as bothered by it, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. I, I agree. It's a nice gesture. I mean, I'm not complaining about that. I just, it would have been fun to see what Sirius had said. And now that I've oh, yeah. introduced and you're okay with the idea, we're going to do something I, fun. Yeah. I do like it. But I can see why you're bothered. I can see it both ways, too. That's what I like so, so much about the story. Gosh, because you can look at something and you can see both sides to it. And I And it makes me wonder, like, I'm seriously constantly asking myself, was that a coincidence? I mean, seriously, these things really foreshadow other things or this just really made this part fit together so nicely. And you can see, you know, you can look back and like every little thing that happens, you can look back and be like, oh, so that was what that was or, oh, this ends up that part. You know, and I wonder if a lot of it was just accidental, which I know for a writer is, I don't know because I'm not really a writer, I would think that would be really complicated to keep up with all that stuff. And I just wonder if any of it was accidental or if they've even thought that far (laughs) into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, there you go, Jenya. We know that you listen, so here's a question for you. Let us know. (laughs) 
you really think about what you're writing or does it just come out? <laughs> um, well, I mean, as as a writer, I can say that sometimes, and and it's this is an incredibly frustrating part about the entire writing process. You know, you you start writing and you think you know what the characters are going to do and how things are going to go, and you know, okay, this is going to go from point A to point B, and then da da da. But then you start writing, and the characters develop completely on their own, and you don't even realize it at first. And then you you know you write for a solid hour, and then you go back and read over what you've written, and you're like, wait a minute, what? This character is a male, and he's a cattle farmer. Where did this come from? You know, you don't, you know. And and I use that example because it happened to me in a story I was working on, and. I mean, I wrote for a good two hours and I went back over it and this character that I had planned out to be a highly educated, you know, like a professor of some sort and a female turned into a male cattle farmer. And so sometimes, you know, you just got to kind of close your eyes and go with it because that's where, you know, the inspiration takes you. And so, yeah, you can try and plan stuff out, but I think a lot of it is kind of happenstance. It has to happen, you know... I guess the analogy that I've always used when I talk about writing is, you know, it's like having multiple personalities because you have these characters that walk around in your head and they're like banging on the walls in there because they want you to write down their story. They want you to tell what happened to them. And if you're not doing a good job of it, then they'll just kind of take over, you know? Yeah. And so, and, and, I mean, I feel like a lot of the best writing I've ever done has been completely accidental because I'm not trying. I'm just letting their voices come through me. Does that sound completely insane? No, no, it sounds <laughs> like, makes it sense. sense. Yeah. Well, so. now, and here, here's my question, um, and it's more of a rhetorical question, but we talked about how much is coincidence and how much of it was planning far, far, far in advance. And the question I always had is, you know, book two of canon, uh, Chamber of Secrets, was published so long ago, and then we just found out in book six that the diary was a horcrux. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wonder, I'm like, did she plan on that when she was writing book two, that this was going to come up in book six, or did it just happen to, hey, I came up with this idea for horcruxes, what can I make a horcrux? Oh, I have that diary. That worked really nicely. Yeah. You know, was that a coincidence or was that really, really far planning on her, on JKR's part? Yeah. We should write to Melissa and Emerson because you know they're going to get to interview her after book seven comes out. And we should write to them and have them ask her that question. Yeah. We'll do that. So. Or better yet, Joe, Joe, if you're listening to our <laughs> podcast, write in and tell us your response. <laughs> Oh my god! I think I'd about fall out of my chair. I would die. Well, Genia, is listening to it, so you know who knows. Joe might be listening to it. (laughs) All right. So moving on. Uh, Harry bumps into Ginny. Yes. I'll move us on. Harry. Harry bumps into Ginny. She's on the roof. She's doing astronomy, and uh, they they finally. Well, this is the first time they've talked face-to-face since Halloween, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, but he's on a broom, though, isn't he? No, or she... One of them's on a broom? Jenny was on a broom that she used to get from her window up to the roof. Okay, good. So, and I love I that... I this to be kind of a Romeo and Juliet, you know, 
him on the yeah. ground talking up to her on the roof. <laughs> it was classic. It was classic, please. Classic Shakespeare here. <laughs> so. I love it. Seriously, we there had to be a romantic chapter, and it was this one. Yeah. And, like, he even puts his hands out to catch her if she falls, like... I just waited for them to start spouting off, you know, good morrows. I loved it. <laughs> I'm so serious. I love it. Okay, I have to say, one, the last line of this segment was, good night, she whispered, and quickly blew him a kiss. Harry shut his eyes and tried to feel it. Yeah. And then her window was closed, and her blinds were shut, and she was out of view. I loved that. He closed his eyes and tried to feel the kiss. Like, you cannot get busier than that. I love this stuff. And so after this, in another stunning perspective switch, we get a letter written from Ron, or written by Ron to Hermione, and he's telling her she's got to come home because he's got season tickets. He's telling about Quidditch and about Sirius and about everything that's going on. And I love how Hermione responds in, like, bullet points. I love it because <laughs> she has to organize it. She can't just be like, yeah, this and this and this and this and this. She has to put, like, bullets and be like, okay, I think this because of this. And this is my response to this. And this is my response to this. And that just absolutely cracks me up. And and I love it because then it talks about Delia. And you get into more of the stuff with Delia. And it's just another way that she's so different from the thinker. Because I can't imagine that Delia would write her letters in bullet points. You know? <laughs> I just, I just, I, the letter came across to me as her kind of being a smart aleck towards Ron in a, in a loving, playful way. But, you know, it's just kind of using her, her, her smartness to be playful. It's, but, I mean, I was like, she's such a smart aleck. She really is. <laughs> especially just the things she says, you know, I know what a snitch is, and I will enthusiastically attend a cans match once you secretly admit that you like Hogwarts the history in writing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to give her a picture, what more does she want? Seriously. Yeah. But she she wants the writing. Oh, I no. Writing. I like it. I like that she's, tr- that, that she's trying to blackmail him a little bit. I love it. Yeah. And so okay, then, but we're back with Hermione. Then, uh, she and Delia get into a conversation, and you find out what it is that they're working on. They've been commissioned by the MLES to develop a human tracking device, basically, because yeah. the MLES has told them about the orphan, and they want to be able to keep tabs on these kids, and so they're trying to talk through it. And you, you get the impression through this whole thing that Hermione is just so frustrated by Delia and her kind of attitude. She wants Hermione to get to the answer, but Hermione would just prefer to be told how to get there instead of having to, you know, feel it out or whatever. And that's when Delia admits that there is magic that she can't do. You know, she can't do captivity spells. Do, and do y'all think that Delia thinks that Hermione is a thinker? Because... The more, see, I keep going, Hermione wants her so desperately to just say, Hermione, you're not a thinker, and she never does, but she never says, yes, you are, either. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, I, it would drive me nuts. It would drive me nuts. I, I think it's more, about the thinker. she knows, Delia knows that Hermione is capable of thinking up new spells. I mean, I think... Obviously, she thought up the Expector Sacrificum spell. She has the talent and the intelligence level to do it. 
but she doesn't have the natural ability. These spells don't come to her naturally. This is this is something that she has to work and work hard to accomplish. And she doesn't do it by, you know, sitting and meditating. She doesn't, she thinks, she, she... I don't she, see that either. You don't? Well, I, I just mean that Delia recognizes that while Hermione is capable of doing this, this is not a fit for her. But she knows Hermione had a goal in coming out here, and she wants to help her meet that goal. Yeah, I was going to say, Delia won't let Hermione quit, even if she's not the best person suited for it, because she knows why Hermione's there, and she knows that Hermione is not going to be able to help her parents until she has a better understanding of thinking. And that's why she won't let Hermione give up, and she won't give up on Hermione, even if she's not the best person for the job. Because I like what she said when Hermione first got there, you know, um, you might not be the best person for the job, but you're here. No yeah. one else is. So I'm going I'm to, I'm an apprentice you. I suppose. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, it bothers, I don't know what it is. I think Hermione, I don't see that her, she works so hard at building these spells because honestly, I don't think that she works that, I mean, yeah, she studies a lot, but I think her logic and things and her, the way she thinks things through comes very naturally. I think that she she bounces she gets ideas from outside. It's it's like a, like so many musicians. I just have to compare. They don't. A lot of them, most of them, are not like Mozart or some. You know, where they hear they just hear the symphony. Like they have to go out and they hear birds singing and sounds. You know, and it makes them. It gives them motifs and things that that helps them create melodies and you know inspiration and i see hermione the same way like she she is a thinker but in a different sense of the word where her ideas don't just show up in her head from a blank canvas like she has to look around and notice things for her to be inspired and so it kind of then i started getting into the well is a thinker you know someone who sits on a beach and waits for you know that that scene in your head that things just click or or can it be Hermione's version? And if so, then Hermione is a thinker. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or a stealer, however much you want to say it. I, I understand make- what you're saying and I think the type of thinker that Hermione is and the type of thinker that Delia is are two different types and it's not that Hermione's version of thinking is wrong because she does need that inspiration, and once she gets it, she can put those spells together. Um, right. But she's not going to benefit from sitting on a basically deserted island waiting for the answers to just hit her hmm. because her talent is in taking other ideas, other forms of inspiration, and building upon and improving those and making something new out of them. And that's right. not the way that Delia works, but that's what Delia is teaching her. Right. So and I think that's no, how Delia does it. She is teaching her to, you know, how to start from nothing, but I don't think Hermione will be able to accomplish the goal of helping her parents without knowing the way that Delia works as well. Right. Okay. Um, that's a good point. One of the things that I really like here is 
where we finally hit on what's going on with these characters. They don't have a purpose anymore. They had a purpose to defeat Voldemort, and they did it. Now what? And that's the whole concept of this entire story in one, you know, sentence. And now she's trying to figure out what it is that she wants to do. And, you know, she gets into a discussion with, well, with Delia. Do I, do I stay? Do I go? And Delia basically says, you know what? It doesn't matter to me. You stay if you want, go if you want. And then Hermione's like, but, but if, if you know what, that I don't want to be here, isn't that going to make you mad? And she's like, it doesn't make any difference. Calm down. Yeah. And, and I like it because, you know, she's able to calm Hermione down. You know, she, she, she's like a therapist, right? She's like exactly. a therapist. Exactly. And, and then, you know, she finally admits this. She admits that she feels like she has no purpose. And then she's all of a sudden able to solve the problem. You charm the kid's hair. It's not alive. They can't change it. If you charm their hair, you know, there you go. It's that simple. And so she finally has has thought of something. And it's because she was able to just let go and admit to herself what was really bothering her, which I think is, of course, the first step in any, I mean, you know, they say the first step in fixing your problems is admitting you having one, you have one. And here she did. She admitted she had a problem. And, and now she's able to work. She's able to focus. Things that we talked about way back in first episode was how this is a story of miscommunication and how the story would have been so much simpler if people would just talk. Harry and Ginny would talk about her being healer. If Sirius would talk about the trouble he's having acting as a godfather. If, you know, Hermione would just talk about the difficulties she's having as a thinker. And as soon as they all start talking and they open up these channels of communication, things get better for Harry and Ginny. Things get easier for Hermione. You know, Sirius and Harry are doing these outings or will do these outings. And it's one of those you just... I'm glad to finally see all the characters start admitting their problems and talking about what's going on in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of, you know, it doesn't end on a big on a big note, but, you know, it ends with Hermione feeling calm and strong in... I yeah. like that. Like, she's not quite so, oh, what am I doing here? Whoa, me, whoa, right. me. I mean, she's exactly. finally going, okay, there's a purpose. I'm going to get to work. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, I kind of just like where this chapter leads. So next week we'll read, we will discuss chapters 26 through 29. Yes. And we want um, to, as always, thank... Harry and the Potters for letting us use their music for our theme song. We want to, of course, thank Arabella and Genia for allowing us to discuss the story. And we want to thank Mac for filling in for Ryan this week. We appreciate it. And we will catch catch everybody next time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, Potterfic Weekly crew. This is Genya. Just wanted to say hello and happy spring. I'm calling in to comment on your comments for After the End in Episode 6. And I'm back to taking notes in my car, so I'm not sure how well I'm going to be able to decipher them. But I'm going to try. Uh, first, I just wanted to say that I think everyone is finally pronouncing my name correctly. It's Genya. Hooray. 
Not that it's that important. Um, okay, let's see. Gwen. I'm not sure I really want to get into a deep discussion of Gwen the Talking Diary because she's Arabella's creation and I'm really actually very fond of her. Uh, you know, I can understand the concerns, especially after Chamber of Secrets. If you read the entire series, uh, Hermione, Queen of Witches, there is a detailed explanation for where Gwen keeps her brain. And the premise, as I understand it, is that Hermione bought Gwen during her first trip to Diagon Alley and is fascinated with the idea of having her own personal magical diary. It's just sort of her attempt to immerse herself in the magical world. I mean, I do see the point that Hermione might not be the type of person who would have time to keep a diary. Definitely uh, in her later years at Hogwarts, uh, um, I certainly am terrible at keeping diaries. But I do think at least her first few months at Hogwarts might have been particularly lonely ones, and she might have come to consider Gwen a friend during that time. So that's all I'll say in defense of Gwen. We put her in the story as a shout-out to all the readers of After the End who came to us via Hermione, Queen of Witches, and it made them happy at the time. So that's why she's there. Uh, there were some comments on how G-rated the scenes with Ron and Hermione were, which is funny. Um, but... I can understand that. After the End was, in a way, supposed to be a sort of poster story for the Sugar Quill. We wanted to set a good example as administrators of that website. Um, but, you know, since the Sugar Quill doesn't post um, very R-rated fix, we weren't about to post those things at the Sugar Quill. And that's why we started the Yahoo group for After the End, so that we could have a place where we could put age-restricted materials and we could post outtakes and things like that. So I'm not sure if you guys have looked at the Yahoo group, but there are a lot of outtakes on that site. And I think in some cases the actual chapters are occasionally slightly different than the versions posted at the Sugar Quill. Although I can't remember a specific example. I don't think that particular chapter with Ron and Hermione had an outtake, but there are some RH outtakes. And there are definitely some outtakes with Secretary Privy Rose K. Brown and Mick in there, so I know that'll make Ryan happy. Uh, let's see. <laughs> you guys are making me laugh with your deep analysis of Hermione and the water ladle port key. I remember writing that scene, and the water coming out of the hill is drawn directly from scenery that I saw while I was visiting Tuscany. And I've thought of a good excuse for the port key being there, because we know from Goblet of Fire that it's possible to set port keys for very specific times. Um, and we can assume that Delia knew that Hermione was coming. And, um,. Turn the ladle into a port key. Of course, I'm not sure that we actually thought that when we wrote the scene. We may have just sort of put it there and thought maybe it was charmed so the muggles couldn't see it, or I don't know, something like that. I mean, that is supposed to be the point of a port key, actually, is that it's such an innocuous object that most muggles don't even pay attention to them. So, anyway, but yeah, you guys are making me laugh. Um, okay. Mr. Archibald and the house that Ron and Harry rent, the Notch, that brings back memories. For a period while we were writing this story, Arabella lived on my street. She and her sister had decided to move to my town, and she came to visit one weekend to look at apartments. And you can imagine my delight when we saw a for-rent sign in the window of a house that I had secretly named Old Man Pants, because it was painted a really bright polyester sort of golf pant green color. So Arabella lived there. She lived there for less than a year, um, and it's since been painted a very dull beige color, uh, but you can still sort of see the green showing through in certain spots. So that's the house that Ron and Harry move into. Victor Crumb's characterization comes directly from a story by Eleanor Gamgee at the Sugar Quill called Moody Slavic Man. 
And you can see we're really incestuous over at the Sugar Quill because we're all sort of sharing portions of each other's stories. But I gave a lot of names and ideas to Eleanor Gamgee for use during her portrayal of Victor, and that story tells the background of how Victor and his muggle wife, Rosita, met. And it's basically that Victor that is in After the End. Draco's Dragon. Yeah, it's a little Lord of the Rings reference with his name. But if you've read ahead in the story, you'll see that it's also foreshadowing. So that's all I'll say there. And I can't explain the eagle at the Ministry of Magic. I'm pretty sure we didn't research the size of an eagle to see if it was feasible to have it flying all over the Ministry. Uh, is a magic eagle, maybe? I, I, I don't know. I can't come up with a tiny explanation for that one. Uh, yeah. It's just a... It's like a British eagle. I don't know. Um, and let's see. The last thing I wanted to say is about Sirius's clothes. And actually, Jen is right. Sirius is naked throughout the entire story. That's what we were envisioning. Uh, no. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, probably the reason there isn't a good description of Sirius's clothes is that Arabella and I couldn't decide on what he looked like. I thought that post-Azkaban series would be sort of clean-cut with like short hair and neat robes uh, because he'd been forced to be so unkempt while he was in Azkaban. And uh, Arabella thought his hair would be longer, and in the end we just sort of left it vague. And we couldn't agree on Remus's hair either, so I hope you guys aren't too confused by it. But if you want to imagine that they're just all naked and running around, that's probably, that's probably fine. You know, whatever floats your boat. So that is the end of my notes for the last episode and uh thank you for continuing to continuing continuing to listen to me babble and to continue to read the story bye quidditch is easy enough to understand each team has seven players three chasers two beaters one keeper and a seeker that's you there are three kinds of balls this one's called the quaffle the chasers handle the quaffle and try to put it through one of those three hoops. The keeper, that's me, defends the hoops. With me so far? Not bad, Potter. You make a fair beater. Bluggers. Nasty little buggers. But you are a seeker. The only thing I want you to worry about is this. The golden snitch. You like it now, but it's wicked fast and damn near impossible to see. Catch it. Before the other team seeker. You catch this and the game's over. You catch this, Potter, and we win.